ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Off the Fair Pole, episode three, season two. We have the full crew here today. We have Derek, we have Choppy, we have Dyer, still with no camera. Get on that, Dyer. Come on, man. But most importantly, we have a guest, our first ever guest on this podcast, and a really cool guest at that. We are joined today by Stephen Johns, former uh, defenseman for the Dallas Stars and the head of the uh, Mental Miles Initiative and a bunch of other cool stuff, including being a gamer. Yes. Which is sick. Also a Notre Dame fan, so, you know, our our, our, uh, our good friend Subtape will be very happy that he has a friend in this world. But... Yeah. Thanks, thanks for having me on, fellas. Of we course. appreciate that. Thanks for uh, letting me crash for a few nights, uh, Dutch. Yeah, and, no uh, problem. We can talk. We, we can get into that. Yeah, yeah. But we... We all got to know, though. We all got to know. When you take a shit, how do you wipe? Uh, Are you a front to back or uh, back to uh, front? Wait, mean, up? Mean, Hold on. What's yeah. up? Like, uh, well, yeah, you can't wipe ball, down. Balls oh, the back. Down. Balls the back. Okay, so front balls to back. To, okay, good. So you front don't lift back. your no, bean like, you mix it, You mix it up, but you always finish it with going up. Wait, 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 wait. Well, so okay. you'll go both ways <laughs> on the wipe? Yeah. See that? On the sides, yeah. I make sure I make I make sure it's all I make sure it's all gone, yeah. man. Yeah. Okay, which one? Okay, that. which one is first? Up. Up. Okay. Well, okay. Hold on, guys. Up can go. You can go up towards your your bean bag, or yeah. you can go up towards. No, your no, back. up towards your back. We're going like. Okay, good. Yeah, That's, I want to just make sure. Up? Of Do you that. stand up when you wipe? Sometimes. It's, it depends on the That's, depends on the situation. It depends what how bad of a mess I had. It was leg day. That's a big question. You got to before you. <laughs> if it was leg day, you ain't getting up if it's leg day. No. But if but if you're dire, you don't have a choice. That's. I mean, you can't you can't stand up. No, you, guys lift, up. you guys lift legs in baseball. <laughs> lift legs. <laughs> you that was lift, pretty good. Bro? That was just forearms. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I, I'm. Do you cardio, bro? <sighs> so you hold on. You think. My legs are small. Oh, I never said that. Well, I mean, you came you came at the leg comments. And also, I, I was thinking, too, when you said lift leg, I was thinking of a dog, like, pissing. So I was, like, assuming you thought I was a sit-down-to-pee type oh, of person. That's why I was like, oh, okay. You had a big workout yesterday. You, you had a ton of energy on the golf course, so. Yeah. I mean, that's – you just got to keep going because uh, you don't know if tomorrow's going to be there. So I'm going to go out there and play golf as much as I can. I love that. And beat the sun, too. So just to clarify, you don't lift your leg when you pee then, Derek? No, I don't. Okay. But I, okay, on hold situation. on. We gotta, <laughs> yeah. So going with the, the wipe, okay, so you go uh, front to back, and then you'll come back, back to front? Maybe just once in the, in the whole, you know, if it's a, it's a 10 wiper job, then maybe one or two of them are down, but most of them are up. Okay, and then... If you wipe and there's nothing there, are you going to go back for a second one? Absolutely. The old ghost poop, the yeah, ghost yeah, wipe. No, so you go there's, back for insurance. You're, you're yeah, checking. There's, there's no such thing as a clean sweep. You don't think cool. so, huh? I'll, I'll, you do one and done? No. No, I'm always two. Okay. At least two. I don't trust myself. But Derek Derek does the... the does. I was getting to this, He's got a too. weird process that he goes through here. I mean, he uh, does well, everything... In reverse, it's terrible. No, I don't. I don't go back to front. No, you go. You go. No, you're right. You don't go back to front. You don't go back to front. We'll get this to the other part. This makes me feel good that you remember how I wipe my butt. <laughs> it does. 
because you do <laughs> that's true friendship right there flawed. you go wet dry that's your problem okay that's where i was going to go next is are you you use uh dude wipes or wet wipes whatever you want to call them if they're available okay do you go wet wipe first or do you go wet wipe second Wet wipe second and then yeah finish it off with it's there's a three it's a three step here then it's toilet okay. paper the dude wipe and then the toilet paper make sure it's dry <laughs> This man Thank is you. my kindred spirit. Uh, wait, what do you mean? <coughs> we he wipe exactly used... the same way. Yeah, but he still <laughs> he still wipes after. He dries it up. He makes sure there Good. is no wetness. You you guys fucking use a wet wipe and then walk away. Oh, he has like a slip and slide maybe going on back then. <laughs> Choppy's the guy that does it. Dyer, maybe not. But Choppy, I know, is definitely the guy that will wipe his ass with a wet wipe and be perfectly satisfied with it. But to be fair, you were also last podcast comparing the dampness of a dude wipe to that of a bidet. Yeah. No. Okay. Which are two very different levels. I get sir. it. But I also don't, I don't want any of my butt wet. Like, that's not good for me. That's going to create a rash. It's going to create I a rash that, on my maybe, ass. Maybe just my crack is just a gaping wide open space that gets air quickly to it. I don't know Maybe if that's, that's something to be proud of. <laughs> Do you Maybe really want to be proud of that? You're proud of that big gaping crack. Dry, wet, dry is better than wet, dry. You can't go wet, wipe first. That's that's disgusting. It's got to be how? dry, wet, how, dry. How, if how is that do. disgusting? But dry to wet is not. It. I mean, they're both touching my butthole, and there's going to be shit all over it. So what? They're both disgusting. It's just. It, it's. It's. You can't go wet. The wet there's not enough protection there on the wet to get the big to get the big stuff off initially. You've got to get you've got to basically clean that off the right way. You might as well you I mean in perfect world, we're all using hotel towels. Perfect world. Oh my god, dude. No. Perfect world. I am not wasting a good towel to wipe my asshole. Now listen, but listen, Derek is you can obviously tell Derek's never changed a diaper in his life, which it's okay, but you also know that when you have those wet wipes and you've got some shit caked on there, figuratively and literally, you're, you're going to use half the fucking container of wet wipes. It takes a long time to scoop all that crap off of there with the wet wipes. You go dry first to get the big pieces, the wet to clean all the rest of it off, and then the dry to dab. I mean, I, I could I could respect that process. I just feel like Dyer, you've put a lot of thought and research into that answer. He's a he's into he's a pro. He's yeah, a pro. he's trying to have the right way to wipe. Dyer, when you write your autobiography, I need a whole chapter on just wiping. Dude, I'm I serious. Also, I, no, the thing that bothers me the most is knowing that Choppy goes and fucking wipes his ass with the hotel towels. No, you're thinking of the nice ones. I'm talking about the ones that you get with the blue stripe on it at the pool. Those ones that you can really oh, like the uh, thin, the thin ones. Sham wow. Do you take a sham wow to your butthole? Sure, I have. <laughs> I mean, I just feel I didn't I told Johnsy, I was like, dude, this is gonna be wild. We go off the charts. There's no script. We say everything. And here we are. We're talking about wiping our butts. Have you used a bidet before? Johnsy? Sorry. Oh, oh, oh yeah, man. We Montreal. Is that they just got those? Yeah, every single hotel room. It's it's an automatic. That's the See, that's best a road culture trip. place. It's literally yeah. the best the best road trip in the NHL because is it big part of it is the bidets. Wow. Are, like, have you have you encountered I some hotels that. with better bidets than others though? Uh, 
Uh, literally only the one I've stayed in was in Montreal that had one, and it was just, it was unreal. Have you ever experienced a bad bidet? Yeah, yeah, no. In Montreal, I, I only uh, I only turned the heat on. That was a bad experience. Oh, you got scalded. You had hot water. Oh no! Yeah, like yeah. Oh, you burnt your burning sensation. Yeah. What's that? You like? had a you had a burnt butthole. Yeah, I mean, well, I caught it fast enough. I didn't just like. Yeah, you, know, you did. Let it, you let it literally rip. caught it. Yeah. <laughs> just up Damn, and out. Man. It's like, nah, I'm done with this. Yeah. No, I just I no, I just turned the uh, turned the cold water on and kept going. Mm -hmm. took a little break had to recoup a bit i just can't believe you burnt your balloon nut <laughs> dirt cutter <laughs> gotta go yeah, on the injured list with a scalded anus <laughs> no, crazy no, things have happened but see he's he's, oh. he's lucky there because the nhl the, they're always like the upper body lower body injury and that's it like so what goes yeah. out publicly is just lower body injury no one ever needs to know it was a scalded bidet <laughs> true. that's true that's like only other body injury. Have they yeah, ever said a middle true. body injury? I mean, that would really kind of narrow it down to balls or ass. Because <laughs> <laughs> like every 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 other sport is like he tore his uh muscle on his right groin. It's like super specific. Hockey's just like lower body. Yeah, hockey's like uh lower upper body injury could be out two to twelve weeks. And then like sometimes they list upper body injuries when they're really lower body injuries, and if you literally have no idea. Truly, when you see an injury report in the NHL, even no idea what they have. That's crazy. Right, can I ask? Can I ask a, a hockey question real quick here? Yeah, yeah. we were going to get into it. I mean, we're going to talk. How about the all hell it. do you? I go. I go to a skating rink. I go three laps around. <laughs> the middle of my foot hates me. Yeah. Like straight. How? How? How the hell do I get over that? What am I doing wrong? All right, so that's like the opposite of what usually people ask. It's usually people are like, "How the hell can you only stay on the ice for thirty seconds?" Like that, you know, but yeah, people don't understand. Yeah. But the, the stress of, you know, the boot on your, on your arch, if you have a high arch in your foot, skating is like, <laughs> it's miserable because you just sit there and flex your foot over and over again to point your toe. I got a high ass arch. So I would, I would literally get cramps middle of games. Like every night after a game, I'd wake up in the middle of the night with brutal arch cramps. And oh. if you ever had those, I mean, oh. yeah, you can't, there's nothing you can do to get rid of those bad boys. Is that when so, your your toe will curl, right? Like, yeah, and you, and you literally okay, yeah, exactly what you're talking oh, about. yeah. Fuck those. So that's why it's like forty seconds. <laughs> that's one of the reasons. <laughs> well, I and you, you got to think we're in like a full squat position the whole yeah. time, and we're not just sitting there doing a wall sit. So try to do that for. I mean, try to get into a squat position and run as fast as you can for forty seconds, stopping and starting, and uh, you're gonna be pretty gassed. What's the longest time you've been on the ice? I mean, in college, you put in, you put in sessions. Um, I mean, probably two, two and a half, three minutes. Oh, just if Jesus, like late, late game. If you were on the penalty kill, and um, that's what I was gonna say. are you on the kill? I was. I mean, I was. I pretty much did everything in, until I turned pro, and then I kind of just became a, a meathead. Did you ever work out or what? Because you don't look like one. <laughs> not, not in a long time. <laughs> <laughs> Retirement. We'll need to lift retirement legs after the motivation to uh, to get into the gym is a little different after retirement, there, Derek. So no, I, I get it. John, you play in the NHL. Who has the best food? Which city? Yeah, there's a steakhouse in uh, in Toronto that is that is all world. I don't I don't know what it's called, but I know we would always go there. And you walk in, and there's a piano as soon as you walk in. So if someone has a insight on that, but it's the best meal I've ever had, and we would go there every time. You can't never go wrong with a good steakhouse. Yeah, I mean, Chicago is pretty fire. 
How does uh-huh. does Nick and Sam's rank up there? I love Nick and Sam. Nick and Sam's definitely ranks up there. I mean, dude, you really can't beat food in Dallas. Honestly, we got everything here. We do. Yeah. Um, everything's good. Yeah, true. Well, if you're okay, so all these foods are good. What's your favorite place to play? What what is like had the best atmosphere? And I, I feel like you're gonna say Madison Square Garden. Ah. No, MSG was okay, but you almost had like a more of a corporate vibe there. Mm-hmm. Uh, really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Dude, the best place to play. Um, Montreal was obviously, I mean, dude, Montreal, the Bell Center is, is just epic. You, you go into warm ups, and usually when you get into warm ups, you have the, the crazy fans that are up on the glass two or three rows deep, um, and the rest of the building's empty. In Montreal, dude, the entire building is packed full. Everyone's like dressed up kind of, you know, a lot of people wearing jerseys, but the people that aren't wearing jerseys back in the day, they're like dressed up to go to the game and you're sitting on the bench and you look in the stands and you see everyone's head go this way. Everyone's head go that Everyone's following the play. It is the most electric and we're, and, you know, being Dallas, we're not a rival to, to Montreal or anything. And you would feel like it was game seven of a, of a cup final um, every night. And that, I always enjoyed that, but, you know, Nashville was, was insane. But playing in places like the Staples Center and MSG were obviously really cool. But so, Derek, remember, remember how you were telling stick. you about how uh, New York is weird and how there's like so many teams and like, there's so many different like fan bases. Like last yeah. podcast, so the Rangers are the Yankee fans. It's that same kind of mentality. Like they're the even though yeah, they but- haven't won shit recently, they are the elitists of the of the group. And then there's the Islanders fans who would be like the Mets fans equivalent. Of just the little brother just gonna go at it. And the Devils fans, we don't count because we're in Jersey and we let you know we're in Jersey. Okay. To the Jets. But you dare put us in New York. And then the Flyers fans will beat you up on the subway. And when you put all those yeah, four together, it's it's great. You can't, yeah, but MSG is MSG is also can be crazy electric. Oh, yeah, we, it can. we had that one game there the one year it was like seven six or I don't know, it was a crazy score. And I just remember it was a it was a weekend game and it was just nuts. But, you know, I played a couple other times and it was almost seemed dead. But there are some places where it was always rocking. Yeah, see, I would, I, would, I would say the same thing about Yankee Stadium. It's the same way as it's very like during the week, you can tell it's just straight business. Yeah. And then weekend, it's, it's loud. That place it's is rocking, always yeah. rocking. I really never thought of that. Like during the week, the crowd's different. Yeah, and it is. It's like everybody goes up. There. I mean, people. I used to. Go, I grew up there. I used to go to like Nick games during the week. Everybody goes there like in their suit. Yeah, it was weird. Which like, I don't get that. Except in like, except in time, go home and get back. Know. Yeah. Are you Dallas, man? Week weekday games in Dallas are crazy. I we Tuesday Tuesday nights in Dallas were just felt like we're always just a crazy atmosphere. I don't know. I mean, Derek, you got to uh, remember, though, like a lot of people who are Yankee fans, Mets fans who work in the city don't live in the city. So, like, no, if you're going that. to a I game like far. right after, like, I'm not going to get on the train to get home for an hour and then get on the train to come back for an hour. Plus, yeah. it's the easiest corporate ticket in town. Like, it's so easy for those big companies just to say, hey, here's two tickets to go to the Yankees or see the Mets or see the Rangers, whoever you want. No, I get all that. the teams have like multiple suites and multiple tickets and. But it's funny, you're right. You'll see people walk in and they'll be all like business attire. And then by about halfway through the game, the jersey's on, the tie's off. My my question is, oh, okay, going to sporting events, because obviously you do like sports. You played, obviously, hockey and stuff. 
what's your views on wearing a jersey to a game? What is the cutoff? Because I'm a jersey guy. I will yeah, wear a I'm jersey a, there. I'm a big jersey guy too. I mean, I don't know I if don't these know. guys are. I know Dyer will. Uh, I'm sure Terps. Actually, Terps, you wore my jersey to Wrigley. Yeah, Chompy, no, are I, you a jersey guy? All right. So I wore. I went to the Stars Canadians game last week, and I wore a, a Turco one because I knew he was going to be in the. I was in a suite. I knew he was going to be in there with me. Um, but normally, um, and I I take advantage of the hockey loophole because it's not a jersey; it's a sweater. So I take advantage of that. I'm not sure. wearing somebody else's jersey. But I typically don't like to wear another man's name on my back. But you did it on purpose when you knew there was going to be when you knew he was going to be with you. Yeah, <laughs> I knew he was going to be there. It was like you know, it's throwback, right? Throwbacks don't count either. There's all kinds of loopholes, but I don't. I would. I don't. <laughs> Are these just your rules? Nobody all, else. I usually only wear a throwback if I'm wearing a jersey. Yeah, I mean, right. I, go, I mean, that's that's that's. Yeah. I bounce around. I like the yeah. newer ones. What's your opinion on wearing a jersey not for the team that you're going to though? Yeah. Like if it was, you know, you just wear like a random team to. Let's see. Like yeah. I wear this used jersey to like a Stars game and the Devils aren't playing. Yeah, that's brutal. That's brutal. What about another Shit. sport? Yeah, hey, I think it's Same. so brutal. I yeah, think okay. the only thing you can get away with is like. A hat. You can wear a. You can wear. Um, you can wear. You can go to a hockey game and wear a Mighty Ducks. No, you can't even do that because they got a team. You can wear a Chiefs jersey at a hockey game. Ah. What? I think it's still. I think it's still brutal. Like the like a the chief. I know who he's talking. He's talking about a. Uh, oh, you're talking about oh, it's like slap yeah. shot. Yeah, 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 like yeah, a Griswold yeah. or something yeah. like that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or you might sure. be able to get away with like a college hockey jersey. Right, yeah, but okay, but let's agreed. say Yeah, president. agreed. Okay, yeah. Uh, yeah. Right. He went to Notre Dame, so if you have a John's Notre Dame, yeah. which they don't put their names on the back, but you have his jersey. Right. They do, they do, they do for the hockey team. They do oh, pretty they much do? for every sport except for football. 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 Yeah. And, they, and they do, and actually they started putting them on the, in football in the bowl games. It's actually kind of weird. Oh. That's weird. Yeah, but they give the guys like a little extra shine Ooh. before they. Mm, that makes know. sense. Well, let's 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 talk about your your journey at Notre Dame with Touchdown Jesus. How how was that? How did you get from Pennsylvania, which is was it? What did you say it was? Wampum, Wampum, yeah. Pennsylvania. How did you get from there to Notre Dame? So just played, you know, played travel hockey, kind of like a AAU or a, a you know a travel team in the local area and. Was lucky to be on a pretty good team where we made some some pretty good tournaments. You know, when I was 14, 15, 16, and um, just started getting recruited then and made Team USA at, at team at uh, age 17 and moved away from home and played at the national team with 20 of the best players and at that time, I guess, uh, in the country. So got to grow a lot there and um, got recruited by a bunch of schools there and wanted to visit Notre Dame and just had to go there. What was it about Notre Dame besides the other schools that you visited that that made you that you know that tipped the scales to Notre Dame? What made you want to go there specifically? Yeah, uh, my parents, you know, gave up. I mean, I, I don't come from you know a lot of money, and my my dad works in a steel mill and still does to this day. Um, they gave up their entire lives, pretty much their entire adulthood, to to put me through hockey, and um, you know, I wanted to to give to repay them in a sense to, to get an education. And, uh, you know, when Notre Dame offered me a full scholarship and, and told me the, you know, monetary value of that scholarship and, um, 
you know, how at home I felt at that school. Uh, I was going to have an opportunity as a freshman to jump right into the lineup and play at these other schools. I might've been fourth or fifth guy on the, on the D pairings and, uh, just felt like that was a, a, a great fit for me. And damn, it was the closest school to my house. So it was kind of a, a done deal. Once I saw a Michigan Notre Dame game and if I would, the, the official revisit was a football game for sure. Uh, Dodge, you, you you probably remember this game. Uh, it was that it was that crazy rain game when Rudolph had that long ass touchdown for Notre Dame. I th- I'm pretty sure Michigan won though. It was in that it was in, uh, oh, it would have been like oh eight oh nine. I don't know. I was too. I, I can't tell you actually, no. I but know. I can tell you who has the better overall record between the two. Yeah, by one game, right? No, it's more than that now. Well, in 08, Notre Dame won 35 to 17. It would have been Notre Dame won. It was it at Notre Dame? That was at yeah. Notre Dame. Yeah, yeah, it had to have been. Yeah, yeah, that was then. Then okay, so Rudolph oh, had yeah, a, yeah. Rudolph had a shit ton of yards. What was like the party life there? Like, man, it was awesome. It was sick because linebackers. Uh, is that where you went? Linebacker was that still there? Uh, yeah, that was. That was man, no, we didn't go linebacker. <laughs> that was, that was, we did on Sundays. We went to linebacker on Sundays. Is that, that was the safe day? Is, but, that a, is that a strip club or something? No, it's just like the famous the Notre legit. Dame uh, linebacker. It's like it's like the it's like the Notre Dame memorabilia bar with like all yeah, the people are yeah. saying it's a, it's a dive bar. Somebody said linebacker. Oh, yeah, it's it's but it's a good dive bar. But man, it was uh it was sick because Notre Dame is only I think seven to eight thousand undergrad. So you had you know, and at Notre Dame, probably only half the kids go out. You had a very small population of kids that you'd go out to the bar. So you went out with the same people all four years, which was awesome in, in, in its own way. And then we had the all-girls school across the street, St. Mary's. So, yeah, oh, yeah. Look, go ahead. This is, I see it slipping you know, out. No, no. It, it was a really fun time at Notre Dame. Like, everyone <laughs> says, like, oh, like, a bunch of nerds go there. But there was, like, a, a, a serious uh, party life there. And, I mean, it's, it's college. Everyone parties in college. Okay, so that's good then. You got some good party schools. You still got your gold helmet. Yeah. Well, I got a, actually got a new one on my uh, on my rollerblading trip. I stopped through and run. Uh, I stopped through Notre Dame and they gave me a, a new Bucky. So that's sick. Yeah. But you God, that's you so actually cool. you actually probably think it's so stupid. Everyone thinks they're unless I mean, you're I, like I like it unless, because I understand the whole point of it. I really don't. I mean, the Golden Dome. Yeah. Um, but I'm saying like it, it's just. It's, it's Notre, Notre Dame. Dame. If you yeah, see yeah. a gold helmet, you know it's Notre Dame. Yeah. What is your most memorable game with Notre Dame? Like, what is what sticks out to you? It's not. It doesn't have to be something crazy. Like, you know, you you set the record for Notre. Dame. I'm saying, like, what was something that sticks out to you? So there's a tradition. This and this is all. Yeah, I've never been asked this, but it's the only game that sticks my mind. Um, there's a college tradition in hockey. The whole team goes on both goal lines and they announce the starting lineup player by player. And he like skates as fast as he can out to the blue line and stops, you know, and the whole production. <laughs> well, my good buddy, Brian Rust, who is, you know, two time Stanley cup winner on the Stanley or on the Pittsburgh Penguins. And, you know, an in- incredible player. He gets his name called and he's just out there flying. It's one of our first games and he's out there flying towards the blue line. And he goes, the goes to stop and just take and just fully takes like a he, just, he loses an edge and just skirts all the way into the other team's zone while they're all their guys on the blue line and they have to like uh but man just see it like 
seen him pop up after that. <laughs> and him being one of my good buddies, just uh, that's, yeah, one of those stupid moments I'll always remember. But we made Frozen 4 my uh, my freshman year. So just, we and we scored an overtime to, to get to there. So it's probably the number one. Well, Notre Dame, you guys have a, you're one of the, the, the hockey schools that has a legitimate following with the students too. Like you guys have legit crowds over there. Yeah, so, and it's been crazy. So, um, I always uh, people always ask like, where are we? You know, obviously, football is number one, but we, I think we compete, or at least we did when I was there. I don't really know how it's been the last five, six years, but um, we competed with basketball for being the the second sport on campus, and it was it was electric, man. We always had we we were always in the top fifteen, ten in the country, and big rivalry games were they're sick. I mean, there's if you ever want to get into a cool atmosphere go to like a rivalry college hockey game it's 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 electric was michigan considered your rival or was it uh like somebody else because i know i hear michigan talk about some of the other schools whenever i go up there they talk about some of the other schools being the rival in hockey because of them being a true hockey school whoever it is they're playing you know that team you guys didn't have something like that or was no it was huge yeah michigan was number one like Oh wow! Muck Muck Michigan was yeah yeah. But, Dang, yeah. I know, I know. I, just, yeah, I hear it all the and, time. And you know, we had <clears throat> we would play the 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 your guys's fight song all week when we played you guys. That was yeah, it was Michigan week. You know, it was Michigan was that, and then we had the the Catholic rivalry with BC. Ooh. And with, yeah, so we had some some awesome bouts with those guys because they were always top five program. They won two national championships when I was there, so. So while we're on the sports topic, let's shift gears real quick into some actual sports, and then we'll get into the the meat and potatoes of this podcast. But first, the uh, the baseball writers have done what they normally do, and well, this year it might be worse than normal. Um, as Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, and Kurt Schilling were not elected to the Hall of Fame in their 10th and final year, David Ortiz was, well-deserved, uh, has entered the Hall of Fame. I'm still convinced that the Hall of Fame is just broken everything about it is broken in baseball um it's just a bunch of manfreds voting for the same people over and over and over again but what yeah. are what are y'all's thoughts on that um i'll go ahead and start because i want i've i fucking hate it i think it's so stupid um we need to stop having the nerds voting it in if they're not gonna like especially the people that aren't even voting that's embarrassing for like four or five sh- blank ballots this year exactly they their names need to be out there so people can see that i mean if I go get my shit kicked in, you know, I got to answer questions. So why can't they answer questions? Don't be, don't be hiding behind your, your non vote, I guess is what you want to call it. That shit's retarded. Ridiculous. I hate it. But I do want to say those guys not being in there, I think bonds gets in, he should be in and Clemens should be in there. I mean, they're the, the best, they're the best of the best. And my Big argument. I can. I can really. I. I kind of don't remember everything to this, but Bonds to me never got caught. Correct, but Clemens did. Yeah, and Ortiz okay. supposedly got caught too. Okay, he's in. Right. So my whole point is though, if if Bonds never got caught and he literally took all the tests and did everything, then why are we still holding it out? Now it's just a he said he said she said bullshit. When we've tested him, you've done everything that it was possibly asked, and. He he passed. So why is he being punished for something that he hasn't done? 
if, you know, obviously he got tested for it and didn't fail. So what, what's the holdup? Well, if you disqualified everyone in Major League Baseball who ever did steroids and got caught from the Baseball Hall of Fame, it would be a pretty barren museum if you're, if you're going to go that far back in time. It's not like, just steroids either. There are other performance-enhancing drugs before and yep. after steroids. And many of the people in the Hall of Fame were at least rumored to have done something. I don't yeah. understand how you can put this one period of time, what a 15 years or whatever it is, under a microscope, and really only just a few players. The other thing because too there, is... were every, there were more people during the steroid era doing steroids than were not. Can we all agree on that? Yeah. Uh, no so, then, so then we can agree, mostly, that it was a level playing field. So why does it matter? Yeah. So the all-time hits leader, the all-time home run leader, and the all-time Cy Young Award winner will not be in the Baseball Hall of Fame. Yeah, he, look, I mean, I, I would have put, put them both in. Um, well, can I say one thing before you go on with that, just to add with the drug side? Remember, like, you're talking about how steroids uh, were illegal, or are illegal, obviously. Uh, greenies is a, a big thing too that are illegal now that weren't illegal back then. So there's drugs that these guys could have been taking too back then. Like I'm talking way back that is now illegal that these newer guys can't use and it continues to keep going that way. For instance, you know, I'm going to sit with the greenies guys back in the day were using greenies to get them going and then now you can't do it. It's just like, uh, what's the other one? Adderall. You can't take that anymore. You have to be grandfathered in. Uh, cause I actually tried to see if I could get onto it to help me with even more focus. Um, and I can't because I wasn't grandfathered into it. So you have to literally, as you get drafted, whatever you sign with a team, that's it. You better say you got it there or whatever. And it goes from there. Well, yeah, further I, to that I, point too. Really? <clears throat> that's how it works in, in, in majors. Yeah. I can't, I can't jump onto Adderall right now. Really? We just, you just nope. need a ther uh, TUE. I mean, I'd have to, yes, I'd have to get a... Just to go like a, mock, a whole mock-up and... Yeah, I have to go through the whole freaking thing and get, yeah, diagnosed. Like, I don't have a problem. I, I, I think they should still be able to, like, greenies to me, you know, now you can take, there's other focused things you can take. You can take, nat, like, you can take a spark for all I care, you know, like... Yeah. It's not, it's not the same as a greenie, but, like, the effect, they've got other things to do. Like, you're always about advancements. I mean, there were guys back in the 60s, I mean... You could do cocaine. Not, well, I mean, they had to wear eyeglasses. They didn't have contact lenses. They had to wear glasses. And now you get a LASIK surgery, and yeah. you see better than you did when you were born. Mm. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's crazy. So, like, the advancements that we have, I'd have put them in, um, those two. But they they did cheat, right? They did. And, and, and yeah. well, maybe they did. Maybe they did. Who knows? Who knows, right? Because, I mean, it's never, it hasn't been proven. Yeah, Bonds was just alleged. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and also, you look at Mark McGuire, and he was taking something that was not a banned substance at the time that he was taking it. Now it is, and it was shortly after that, but when he was using it, it was not banned. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, what, how can you hold point. something like that against those guys? But it was banned. It was, wait, now McGuire's wasn't, right? The Andro? Yeah. But yeah, that's the my point. stuff was, I mean, it was banned, it just wasn't tested for. Like, steroids were always illegal. They just weren't tested for. So whose fault is that? Uh, well, I mean, the players, you know, made sure that they weren't testing for it, which I would I would do the same thing. Okay, well, that's the fault of the 
the owners in the league being too weak. How can you put something on a banned substance list and then turn around and not test for it? I, I still just think it's it's hilarious that it's only writers voting as well on top of that. Yeah, I get that like, too. You don't have a single player None of the Hall of Fame voting players. in that pool. Yeah. That should be that way in every sport. If you're in the Hall of Fame, you get to vote if this guy can come in or not. I, I think the hall I think the Hall of Famers, but here's the problem, like you know, and 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 the, the the baseball writers, you have to be a baseball writer for ten years on a beat. So you, you have to be at you know, you have, to be, you have to be like assigned your main job is working for one of the thirty beats for the for the you know, for a local paper or whatever for ten years. And I get why they do that. Like, you know, you it, it's it's one about knowing a lot of players, generations of players, and seeing a lot of games. You know, Derek, I don't know, Derek, how much baseball do you get to watch of other teams during the season? I mean, it's on all the time. Right, but I mean, like, how much do you get to, like, like you may watch Like, actually watch other... a real game? Uh, it's not very often. It'd be like yeah, if I... I have a Sunday day game and all of a sudden Sunday night game's on, I might watch it just because yeah. maybe there's nothing on. And I, and I think that's part of a reason why they don't have, like, players vote. It's because you just can't see a lot of the players. Yeah, but it's not. We're not saying like the players in the league. We're talking the Hall of Famers, like guys that are already in there now. Like Greg Maddox would have a vote on. Right, is Greg Maddox watching. I don't. Does Greg Maddox even watch baseball? I have no idea. But you can make the same argument of some of these writers, though. Some of these writers, their main beat's not baseball anymore. No, and, I, and they should not have a vote. They those guys. You, you should have to be on a current beat yeah. to have a vote. And I think the guys who repeatedly turn in a blank ballot too are just like that. Should you should be automatically removed? But why not combine both? If you're going to do that, at least give the Hall of Famers a chance to vote too. Like they have the veterans, know, don't guys they? Could yeah, huh? They 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 have the they have the was the Veterans Council or whatever it is. I have no idea. I'm yeah, not Hall of Fame worthy. They got committees of today's game, a golden era. Of yeah. But I'm just saying, give them a chance. They can say some. They don't have to vote. You know, it's not a mandatory vote from the Hall of Famers. Let's just say they're a part of it, so they have a say. Like, when this situation presents itself, where we've got four fuckwads that don't want to vote, then we need to have these guys step in and say, all right, well, we're going to vote for Bonds, put him in. We think he deserves to be in. This guy doesn't even want to vote, whatever. There's, There's got to be a say from the actual Hall of Famers. Well, that's a yeah. good point, too, because it's a system. It adds a system of checks and balances to the voting uh, hierarchy. Now you don't just have this one group of, of voters who can all talk to each other and all say, you know, hey, this guy was a, a jerk. Yeah, you know what? I think he's a jerk too. Well, we're not going to vote for him. Now you can talk to a, a group of folks that might have a more objective viewpoint on the situation and who are probably more apt to not squander that voting opportunity, which a lot of these these writers are doing. And there's nobody to say one way or the other that 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 it's not right to do that. What recourse is there for these guys that regularly don't vote? Yeah. I mean, look, there's no recourse. Uh, there should be. Although, I mean, if you don't think that somebody is deserving, you shouldn't have to vote on a player, right? But you should at least you should at least be able to make a valid case to your peers, i.e., the other voters, as to why you're not casting a vote for anyone. You should at least be able to explain 
why it is that you're not taking advantage of the opportunity to put somebody in the Hall of Fame who may otherwise be deserving. If it's something off the field and that's your that's that's your reasoning, at least be able to verbalize that and make a case for yourself. Otherwise, you don't deserve to be a Hall of Fame voter. Should 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 somebody's off the field matter? No. Because no. that's I not was just using that as an about, example. Yeah. Which is perfect. That's good. But your stuff off the field, unless if you're out here, you know, doing obviously Murder. a criminal thing, you know, whatever. It could be beating a, a woman or whatever. If along those lines, yeah, that obviously would play in, but just because somebody's a dickhead to you and you didn't like him, that should not play a factor. And I know that was one of the things that was out there. I remember somebody talking about, I think it was one of our earlier shows. We talked about somebody was upset because of how they, they uh, acted. They didn't like their, the way that they talked to them or whatever, something stupid. I, it was a long Kent was always seen as like a red ass, like a dickhead. Yeah. And I mean, I th- I think Jeff should, I mean, I think <clears> he, he's close. He's a hall of fame candidate for me. Um, I mean, he 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 was a power hitting second baseman in a time when there was no power hitting second baseman. Or very what about few. It's like him and Alomar were the only ones that had pop. What about Richie Richie Allen, does that name ring a bell for you fellas? Dick Allen, I know that name. Dick Allen, yeah. So he's from he's from Wampum too, actually. And uh, everyone says that he's not in the Hall of Fame because he was a, he was a huge asshole back in the day. But you look at his stats and it's like, how's this guy not in? Fred McGriff's one. Yeah. Fred McGriff should be in the Hall of Fame. No, 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 no. Sorry, sorry. I'm saying he's not in the Hall of Fame that should be. No, I mean, sorry. Because he started talking about stats, too. Well, and the thing is, too, like, we're we're willing to overlook being an asshole for some people. Like, if you look at, like, Mickey Mantle and, like, his actual persona and some of the stuff that's come out since and some of the letters he's written since, like, it's fine to overlook that. But it's like, and some of the other players of the past who were just certified assholes or misogynists or whatever but now all of a sudden in the last what 20 30 years it's oh no you wouldn't have give me you would never give me the time of day so i'm not going to vote for you my yeah, cop murdered that. somebody did he really allegedly <laughs> does the nhl follow the the hall of fame in the same kind of fervor that the mlb and even the nfl does to the extent or do you think it's just because it's it, because it's in Canada, we just don't get the same kind of coverage here. I don't know. I think that with baseball, it's so freaking, there's so much tradition in it. And, you know, the, the old guys are the old guys. And, the, you know, the, the old saying is once this, you know, when Pete Rose is dead, he's going to get into the Hall of Fame. You know what I mean? That, I feel like everyone's been saying that. And with hockey, I feel like it's pretty obvious. You see the ballot of guys, and you. Yeah, you kind of agree with everybody that gets in or that doesn't get in. It's like, okay, maybe next year they'll get in, but every year the ballot makes sense. You know, there's never really an argument with with the with the Hall of Fame in hockey. Well, they have a the the hockey the selection committee is much more selective too, isn't it? It's it's made up more of formal players or executives as opposed yeah, to as I, opposed I, to writers. I honestly have no idea. Yeah. I was never uh thinking about that myself, so well, no, yeah, but like it's just it's just interesting because like you don't hear about the NHL Hall of Fame here apart from those one or two names that come up, right? You know, every now and then, or you have a legend visiting and Hall of Fame or blah blah blah, but you don't hear it in the same way as like you know the NFL or the MLB or 
in any way like that and it's just it's interesting to me but yeah well obviously you know we're we're probably the fourth major sport um i think i think mls gets better ratings than a lot of our hockey games which is crazy but um uh, yeah, rumors, uh you'd be surprised man it's, well a lot uh, of the hockey games aren't like espn plus now like they're not like you, you have yeah. to pay for them like you can't just watch them yeah it's gonna be interesting uh you know uh, if you have espn plus it's amazing but not not a lot of people not not everyone does and if you don't you're not really watching hockey um so it's it's weird it's, it's kind of a weird but time it's, it's great though because like getting back on espn was huge i mean espn will promote the hell out of it Oh baseball, yeah, baseball needs to get back on ESPN more. They need to get the playoffs on ESPN more. I mean, this they need non- a better booth. What? They need a better booth. They're, they're getting booth. they're they're changing the booth up this year. Yeah, they are. So, what do you think about a Rod trying to be like Eli and Peyton? Mm-hmm. Um, he's not as entertaining. Not. No, as like Eli. And Peyton. I, I mean, I covered a Rod very briefly for only about two years here in Texas. Wow, and I'm not saying he was like, all right. Look, Peyton is supposed to be like a, he's like a genius, right? I never thought of A Rod as like a baseball genius. I, I never thought of him like that. Like even like watching him, I mean, I think Smoltz is much better than than A Rod is. And agreed, yes, like, it's like, agreed. It's like Alex, he could talk really, really intelligently about the the Yankees and the Red Sox. And that's kind of where it stops. Well, sometimes I watch the ESPN broadcast and all that they're saying is he hits the ball really far. And when he hits it far, it's a home run. And I'm like, thanks. Like, that's, that's a great in-depth analysis there. Thanks. I just don't, like I said, I mean, getting on ESPN, I agree with you, Choppy. It's big because you get to reach a Disney. You get to reach an ESPN. But I think the big thing with hockey is exactly, it's exactly right. Is that it's becoming pay to watch. And not only that, you can't, flip on a channel like yeah every so often i can watch the devils on msg2 or whatever mm-hmm. it is or if i get lucky there's a game on nbc and there's one game on nbc right so you can't ever stumble on it it's very hard to stumble on hockey yeah i'm and- more likely to stumble on college hockey on the big 10 network huh. than i am to stumble onto hockey on like regular tv like that's the nhl that's crazy um wow it's kind of hard to hear <laughs> i agree uh, because yeah. it's it's because I remember if you go back for five years ago, hockey was pretty much it was easy to find. Yeah, and, and even now, even still with you know now that we've moved to ESPN, it's still you watch an episode of Sports Center. Forty five minutes of it is LeBron, and then ten yeah, minutes of it, yeah. ten minutes of it is uh, what's going on in the NFL, and then there might be two. You know they run they run one goal from each game in the, in the NHL that night, so it's. I don't know. Yeah, you somehow get more exposure. I mean, I remember watching Sports Center as a kid, and you'd watch every game from every sport over yeah. and over yeah. again. Yeah. So it yeah, was. Then they, then they started selling out to whoever they paid the most money to, which is model of a business, I guess, right? Yep. I mean, you, you would see like the top ten goals or something like that, or you like. Right. I remember like Sports Center, at least in the New York area, it was growing up. It was what's you know how many saves did Martin Brodeur have that night, mm-hmm. and, and that that was pretty much it apart from anything else and like but then again at the time like msg was a free channel for most right. people in the tri-state area so you could watch all the games no matter what but it's like making people pay to watch it it's just i think it's one of the best sports to see in person but if you never watch it on tv 
most people aren't really going to want to go see it in person if they have no idea what it is. And then it's the whole argument of, well, I can't see the puck. Yeah. Yeah. Well, then how many, and then the flip side is like, how many, yeah, the same echo. It's like, how many people do you meet in their mid thirties or forties that fall in love with the game of hockey because they went to their first game, right? Mm -hmm. So it's, how do we bring fans that have absolutely no knowledge of the game? How do we get them in the building? And, and honestly, a lot of times it's just dumb luck sometimes for a fan to come to a game and it's because a lot of, I mean, you go to a home game and home team gets blown out six, nothing. It's brutal. You know, it is. Yeah. Yeah, It's, it's, it is brutal. And, um, but man, when you go to a, playoff games nuts but yeah. you go to a regular season game against a, a good team or a good rival and it's it's close all game there's hitting and a couple fights like holy my, what is this sport yeah. and then uh like that is one thing like, you get a blowout you are gonna get some fights it's oh, yeah. hit or miss. it is hit or miss like mm-hmm. um some games are no pun intended incredible and some games are man <laughs> can this well, and over? Also, well and also i feel like hockey is one of those sports that when it's a bad game a quiet arena just sucks yeah, yeah, it really does. Because like you hear everything. But but to be honest, there's there's really not that many arenas anymore that are empty. I mean, we used to. I mean, Florida right now. If you watch a home Florida game, they're one of the best teams in the league. I watched a game the other night when they were at home. It is. It looks like. I mean, it, it looks like Vegas or Nashville. It and it's in the regular season. Yeah, you should you should check it out. And it was a Saturday game, so maybe that had something to do with it. But it. I mean, I always remember going to Florida and there were a couple thousand stand, people in the stands. And I mean, Carolina's wild now. Um, so yeah. so the all the markets that struggled getting fans of the games, they're they're packed. I mean, you go to a Dallas game on a Tuesday, it's packed. I think one of the big things is hockey's accessible. Like the tickets aren't ridiculous yet. Right. Yeah. You can take a family to a hockey game on a weeknight and it might be 150 bucks for five tickets. There's yeah. 82 of them. Yeah, and it's just like so many of them. Now it's just like if you try to go to a baseball game, we talked about this the other day. Like you go to try to go to a baseball game now, it's stupid expensive just to get through the door in some areas. Football is ridiculously expensive now. Football is definitely expensive. Basketball can get expensive to go to. I mean, hockey. Yeah, of course, if you're trying to go to you know Montreal or you're trying to go to Pittsburgh or wherever, yeah, you're going to pay premium pricing. But mm-hmm. or you're trying to go to MSG, you're going to pay New York pricing. But for the most part, I feel like it's more accessible. I also feel like with the hockey games I've been to, I definitely see more families at hockey games than I do Front at kids. baseball and football games. Yeah. Yeah. I think you could say too that a lot of these newer arenas that that hockey's played in and I I guess I'm only speaking from the experience that I've uh you know, the the games that I've gone to nationwide nationwide arena in Columbus. It's a smaller arena and so there's not really a bad seat in the arena you could it's sit not. at the top with your back on the wall and still have a great view of the game and yeah. really have a great time or and and also too with hockey there's no other sport there's really no other sport that you can get closer to the action if you've got a seat on the glass that is one of the most incredible viewing experiences in person in in sports professional amateur anything yeah. is to watch a game on the glass it is it's absolutely incredible and one of the most fun times that I've ever had at a sporting event. I agree, yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree yeah. with you, but I also feel the same, though, with basketball. The NBA, you can get pretty close as well. I think the difference with hockey, though, is in basketball, no one's being slammed into the glass in front of you. Yeah, but they can still fall into you going after a right, ball. Right, but, like but I think it's I think it's 
I think the thing that Dyer's getting at, which I agree with, is the physicality of hockey. Up yeah, that no, close. I, no, I'm, I'm agreeing. I'm not. I'm just saying. I, I feel like that's also missed too. Is you can you can be pretty close to the action as well with basketball. You actually hear the trash talk more though in basketball. Mm. Yeah, I will yeah. say that. Yeah. Um, but you can if you are just above the glass, so probably like five rows back. I want to say you can hear when the guys are chirping from bench to bench though. Because I've heard that before. To me, I, I definitely agree. Uh, my buddy Jack even wrote this in here too, though. NHL has killed itself with its broadcast deals, and it's the best damn sports out there, like best damn sport out there. But it's rant. Well, I can't say that part. But it is it is true. I agree. I think hockey is probably one of the best sports to watch hands down live. I would. Mm-hmm. The only argument I would have it would be football. That's the only one that I think is giving it the most competition but as a person who loves sports i'm i'm at all the games i mean i'm you know i was season ticket holder for the stars and the mavs so i go watch them all the time and then obviously you know i always go watch a browns football game with with dyer so i definitely try to catch it and every sporting event is definitely going to be good live and i think football is the truly the only one that people will watch on tv i will say hockey has some of the best announcers in the game too uh, yeah. Like some of the really yeah. good professional. Yeah, like what's you the, gotta, what's you the old be... man's name? That I think he just retired though. Doc. Like he was doing, yeah, Doc. I could. Doc was him. insane. And what was really he's, funny he's is the best people. Well, I got lucky. I'm a Devils fan, and Doc started there. So we got Doc and Chico early on, which is just like an insane broadcast combo. He went on, blew up. What I really loved was when he did the Olympics, when they got him to do the Olympics, all of a sudden you saw on Twitter, who is this announcer? Who is this? He's insane. But yeah. how does he follow good. this? How does he, he makes it like I get, a lot of people were, this is kind of a weird one, but I saw a lot of comparisons to like the old Joe Rogan UFC commentary where you could watch a fight and as a non-fight fan and kind of get what's going on based off how they were explaining it. He kind of did the same thing for a lot of people with hockey where he was just able to let them follow the game, flow the game. And for people who had no idea what really hockey is apart from shoot puck, hit, hit guy. Like it was huge. Absolutely yeah, huge. I thought, man, I don't, I don't, did you like, did you like Pierre? Cause I loved him. I mean, a lot of the, the average, like the average fan doesn't like Pierre. Um, he has his moments. But I loved him because for me, when I wa- when I was watching a game and obviously it's a little different, but I, was always when he's when these young guys would come up and I was like, oh, who who the hell are these guys? Well, Pierre would just tell me what school they went to, how many years they played junior, like how, what was there, and that's for I don't know. That was cool for me. That's cool that's for really a guy cool. to guy to have that yeah. much knowledge about so much hockey and at, at so many different levels and to know different players and coaches that coached. It, it, I don't know. I thought that that team with Doc Pierre and and when Eddie O was on, I thought that team was was awesome. That's a good point too, because a great commentator can make can make it easy to watch a sport for somebody yes. who doesn't know the sport. Mm-hmm. Like yes. I know absolutely nothing about soccer, but if I watch a game that Ian Dark is doing, I have so much fun, so much more fun watching that game because because he does such a good job of explaining the game and what's happening, what I'm looking at, and not only that, but he's exciting and he his the way that he the way that he explains and the way that he brings it to brings it to life. It's just, it, it makes it more fun to watch. I agree when it comes to Ian Dark because it's like, I spent half the time trying to figure out what the hell he's saying, and it takes me away <laughs> from how bored I am with the actual game that I'm watching. 
Oh my god. Listen, you're one of those people. Nah, huh? You better fucking say something. I guess he's just not a sports fan. That's perfect. It's like the baseball fan that says, you just don't understand the game. <laughs> I don't understand soccer either, but Ian Dark makes it watchable for me. I love That's- Ian Dark. That's what I'm saying. Like He makes it watchable because I don't know what the hell he's saying because he's British and they don't speak English over there. I don't know what he's saying. And, um, you know, I have to figure out what he's saying. That that takes me away from how bored I am watching the actual soccer game. You clearly never watched any of the Austin Powers movies because then you would understand British English. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you'd understand a movie. A movie. (laughs) So I got to, okay, going, since we're still on the hockey side of it, obviously we know you played for the Dallas Stars. Those that don't know, you know, now we know you played for the Dallas Stars. What was the process like being drafted? Because I, I told my whole story of how it goes down for me as a baseball player, you know, what I had to do. You get a phone call, like, run us, especially, like, I mean, everybody in here is a sports fan. I'm very excited about this because I've always wanted to know how another sport person goes through their draft process. Because you, uh, well, yeah, you came out of college, so yeah. Well, no, you get drafted in hockey, you get drafted at 18. You have you have two draft years. You have your 18 year, and then the year after, and then you're kind of really not eligible for a draft. You're, then you're just a free agent. Um, so I got drafted uh, the summer going into my freshman year at Notre Dame. So get drafted by Chicago, and they have your rights in the NHL for four years after you're drafted. So you can't sign with any other NHL team. Um, went to school for four years, and Chicago offered me a contract after we were done, and signed with them and spent a year in the minors there and then got traded to, to Dallas. So your minor leagues is, it's only one team. Like for, you know, for yeah, me, well, with, we have, yeah, we have bunch. like AAA single, or we have like kind of the same thing. We have the, a, the AHL, the East coast league, which is pretty much just two affiliates. And uh, yeah, the AHL, which is in Texas is like Dallas's minor. That's league third. Team. Okay. So awesome, that would be like yeah. the AAA team. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. Now do you, the process wise, like, is it, and this is kind of a dumb question because obviously it's hard, but is it like comparing baseball wise, we literally have to go like when I got drafted out of college, I was in rookie ball. I actually didn't even start in rookie ball. I should take that back. I got to skip it, but it went well, no way. You? Yeah, that's right. I didn't play rookie ball. Hey, I was only in the minor leagues for a year and a half. So suck on that. Uh, fucking rookie ball peasants. So that. <laughs> So there's like, it, it's the track, like, is there fast track? And then there's also like, you know, a lot of, like for us, there's a lot of first rounders that don't even make it. Right. Whereas I feel like the NHL, if you're a first rounder, you're in the show, like right away. No, I mean, you'd think that, but it's, it's actually crazy when you look at uh, how many first rounders you never even heard of, or don't, don't even play a game in the NHL. Um, I'd say every year the top five draft picks in the NHL will probably be in the NHL within the next year or two. Um, definitely the first and second overall pick is, is what it seems like the trend's being. Um, but man, most of the time it takes a couple years of development. The the league's getting younger and younger now. Um, but when I, like when I came in the league, I was a rookie at 25. So yeah, I was a rookie at 25. So most kids. If you're if you're a stud in college, the, the NHL team is probably going to pressure you to leave early. Um, I didn't really have that great of a college career. I had like a you know decent, and then I had a really good senior year. Um, so most kids, I'd say, if they don't go to college or play in junior, 
and then they'll go that's like the fast track to the nhl is instead of going to college you play junior which is like the ohl um like we're all pretty much all the canadians play yeah so um, what was your tell us about your experience though uh so i actually got drafted my my draft experience yeah so it was in the summer my uh my buddy's parents had just built a new house like big big like first buddy with a pool in-ground pool so he threw a big pool party and my phone was on the speakers and it was like nine o'clock at night had a couple suds in me and <laughs> got a call from the chicago gm and i thought it was it was like a week before rookie camp and thought it was just gonna be hey we're you know you had a great end of the year in in rockford last year we're really excited to get you going for training camp this year but instead it was hey steven uh we've traded you to dallas good luck for the rest of your career and wait wait wait! It's, hold on so you got traded before you got drafted no i'm talking yeah no sorry my draft was in la i went i skipped there okay yeah so you got so, wait so you got drafted by la yeah no i got drafted sorry. by chicago in la yeah i got drafted in la by chicago keep yeah. up derek you got yeah. this. It threw me off there for a yeah, second. No, I, yeah. I, no one ever asked. This is the first time I've ever told my draft story. I'm usually telling the trade story. That's why. I, um, we'll get to it. We, we, see, we're a yeah, podcaster yeah. first. What can I say? Yeah. We ask you how you wipe, and then we ask you about your, your draft story. I mean, it's. Oh, yeah. We want to know if you wipe your butt the right way. But, yeah, no. The, the thing is, people like normal fans do want to know about your experience. Like, a lot of people yeah. want to hear how, you know, your draft went down. And then, yeah, obviously, we're going to get to, you know, yeah. you getting traded. Okay, so yeah, so draft was in LA um, in July, and my family had booked flights back in March to go to the draft because whenever the the final rankings came out or one of the rankings came out, I was projected to be a top uh, two round pick and potentially a first rounder. Um, oh. <laughs> fast fast forward a month later, I am at, at World Championships at the under 18s, and the last three games of the tournament, I literally didn't play a shift. And that's like the biggest tournament before the draft. So yeah, so I didn't play a shift and win a gold medal and I literally didn't contribute to the team. So it was kind of a, oh shit, I got to go to the draft and I might not get drafted now. That's, that was kind of the whole feeling. So <laughs> uh, ended up getting picked second round, the last pick in the second round uh, by Chicago and kind of cool. The guy I lived with at Team USA got picked the the pick before me. So we were sitting next to each other, and you know it was uh, it was a pretty special moment. Um, but yeah, the, but it's kind of weird getting drafted before you go to college. Yeah, yeah. that is, that is a unique way to draft yeah. you before college, but then they still hold your rights. Mm-hmm. Very weird. So, so, so a guy way, like, like a guy like Kevin Hayes, he was drafted with me in Chicago, but went all four years to Boston College and didn't sign with Chicago, and was became a free agent at the end of those four years. Can they sell your rights when you're still in college or trade you, your rights? Yeah, you can trade you, yeah. yeah, yeah so you, you could trade. so you could be playing Notre Dame and be yep. traded and never have played a game in the NHL yep. in any capacity. Wow. Holy shit, that, I didn't that's, know that. That's yeah. weird. That's, that's a crazy. unique way of doing it. Are they basically using then high-tier colleges as an entry-level farm system, essentially, then? A hundred percent, if not, like, their favorite farm system. Because you got to think about it. You're not getting a 19-year-old kid who... Mm-hmm has been in the weight room for two months right before his first NHL camp. You're getting dudes who have been in the weight room five days a week for four years. And they might not be the best hockey players, but, I mean, they're men and they're ready to step into the lineup and play. And 
it's that's a huge shift coming in the last 10 years and 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 you can see it i mean i saw a stat the other day it was most points from draft years and it was u.s born players and and canadian born players i'm saying this because for the most part american born players go to college and the canadian guys play junior so there's a in in the amount of seeing though that number in front of me and seeing how much better statistically the americans have been in the last five years than the draft it's there's a huge shift in it and you know a lot of those kids were college kids and you get and even not even staying four years in college you get a kid an 18 year old that spends one year in college it's such a big difference you're only playing 35 games you're playing friday and saturday you get to party and have fun you're not like worried about the stresses of make it to the nhl you're worried about being hung over for class in the morning and it's just you get to train four days a week and it's just such a good environment for kids to go to and um because once you go to junior once you sign you're considered a semi-professional you can't that strips you of your eligibility mm. so it's one or the other for hockey it also gives you life experience you have kids coming out of college now who've been on their own right yeah so yeah you play junior you're still with a billet family you're still relying on pretty much the team to do everything for you and college is a little different you have you have to go to the dining room yourself and you have to pick out what you want to eat and you gotta you really figure stuff out and learn how to manage your time and um learn how to go to class and figure it out well, yeah, because you still got to be able to pass your classes too, just to me, because there's a bunch of guys who I, I'm sure some some of them just get the feeling they're not getting signed at the end of it. Yeah, yeah. So you got to have I mean, something figured out for the four years you're there. Yeah, that's. I mean, Derek knows how many how many guys he played with growing up that didn't make it. I mean, he's probably one of the only guys on on every team that he played on until the age of you know until he probably made the team USA. You know, you're probably the only one of the only guys that made it. So, it's it's crazy. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things that when you're in college or you're making it to the next level, it's coaches will sit, sit you all in a room and be like, only two of you or only five of you in this room are going to make it to the NHL. And when you're sitting in that room, you're like, we're all going to make it in the NHL. We're all superstars. So it's just seeing how hard it really is to get there. It's, uh, it's cool. And stay there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. So cause I know like I know there's like, um, you know, in baseball, there's, there's only like what one or two independent leagues right Derek like the rest of them are all affiliated with somebody yeah you get the Atlantic League and then you got right some other independent is because <clears throat> like you know the, the like the perception of like minor league hockey's man like you got to go there they fight like every four minutes is that regular minors like the affiliated teams or is that like the independent leagues that aren't really affiliated with anybody um so there's only like there's only one league affiliated with the nhl and it's the ahl it's the only league you can really call guys up and down i mean you can do it with the the international leagues the european leagues but it gets it gets sketchy with their rules and our rules and a certain amount of games played so it's weird but it's weird because half of it's all it's i don't know i don't know the exact number but half of the owners in the nhl own the minor league team then the other half of the minor league team are owned by like separate owners so you have a weird mesh of teams in the minors who some owners that own the nhl team will invest everything into the minor league team as well right but then you have other owners in the minors who that's like that's kind of like their big thing so it's it's a it's a really weird dynamic in in hockey just that is very that's interesting the other thing i was thinking of too is so I was a draft and follow. 
where you talked about like guys can get signed before college or in college, however, and then they got them the whole time. Mine was only like I got drafted out of whatever, out of college my first year, and they owned my rights until the next year. I've never seen a trade. They couldn't trade me because they don't have me. They just yeah. own like on, you know, they had me until two weeks before the draft. Yeah. Uh, what happened the, the year that I ended up signing. So I could have been a part of the 2008 draft, but instead I was 2007 because I was draft and follow. Mm. So it's weird to see how you guys have it the other way where they can just own you and they can trade you. Well, yeah. it's a free minor league system. Yeah. Too. They yeah. don't got to pay for that. You know, you can send a kid to have a kid go to Notre Dame, Boston College, Michigan, any of the big time hockey schools, and he's going to get a world class education however that education is you want to define it as yep. and but they're also going to get a world-class education in hockey yeah yeah and but you can the do team the has to put thing. no but the team has to put no money into it but we they're uh, not paying yeah. for it yeah, yeah or, right. or effort it's almost like a yeah, yeah it's, it's a free minor league system so can i ask a question here because i'm having a hard time wrapping my mind around this whole thing i had no idea that's how it was yeah with with hockey how many guys did you play with or how many guys would you say that it's common on a college hockey team that weren't drafted? I mean, it sounds like it's more common for the upper echelon programs to have a bunch of guys that have been drafted. Yeah. So it's cool. You go to a college hockey game, you get the, you get a sheet of every name and by every guy's name, it's which team they're drafted by the logo. Usually I'd say on, you know, if you're a top 20 team in the country on a consistent basis, probably have at least 10 guys on your team that are drafted yeah i knew michigan has a lot yeah i mean michigan's is, i mean they're if they don't win the national championship this year dude no oh, that's bad they too have, yeah. they have like four of the top five picks yeah that's that's crazy that's that's unheard of that's crazy but, but yeah, yeah i mean yeah. that's so going okay so now we've got you drafted let's talk a little bit about your time with the dallas stars or wait, awesome. wait, sorry. Let's when you got traded, let's let's start from where you were at first. Sorry, Chicago, and then let's yeah, I got traded. Hear about that, and then you got traded. Or did you yeah. get traded right away from from no, there? You never even got to. I spent a year in the minors in Chicago, and then so my first year pro was there, and then didn't play a game in Chicago, and then um, got traded in the summer with Sharpie to to Dallas, and spent a year in the minors in in Dallas too, and in Austin, which was amazing. Oh my gosh, and up and spent five years in dallas so okay so tell us about like the time in dallas what was what was going on there because i mean i know one of the things you know you there was the winter classic you didn't get to play in it though but you did get to go skate at the uh we'll, we'll just dive right into that actually you didn't get this to, to play but you did get to skate inside the cotton bowl what, what was that like because i mean yeah, it was i'm not gonna lie i've i've been to i haven't even been to a sorry i haven't been to an outdoor game a winter classic that's got to be one of the coolest fucking things ever, though. So cool, man. Yeah, honestly, man, it, it really sucked that I didn't play. Like, and I'm kinda, not. Yeah, no, but I, yeah, it, yeah, it kind of took because I went, I went to the first Winter Classic in person when Sydney, when Crosby scored the shootout winner in the snow. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, and I mean, I was there. I mean, I had, I had a Crystal Tang jersey on. Like, I was 12 years old, so my dream was obviously to always play in a Winter Classic, and then to. To see that in person and like be on the ice is yeah, man, it was it was sick. I mean, obviously it'd been a lot cooler if I'd have played, but um yeah. just just being Yeah, too. yeah. But it's I mean, it's so different when I don't know. It was it was on it was like a, another practice, honestly, but then 
I was sitting in the stands for the game and it was it was epic. It was epic. Yeah, I saw the the vibes were nice. But what yeah. about uh do you enjoy dressing up as a cowboy with the rest of the team? Uh I mean I thought I looked pretty good, but <laughs> I was freezing my ass off in the stands, I'll tell you that for free. <laughs> this is a question I'm curious of. I told my story of how I got the phone call, I was getting called up to the big leagues. What was that like for you getting the call or how it went down? How did how did it go down for you to get, hey, you're coming to the NHL? Oh, dude, it was so sick. Um, I was in the minors, and at this point in the minors, when I got traded to Dallas, there were eight defensemen on one-way contracts. So if you have a one-way contract, this pretty much you can't get sent down unless you get put on waivers, and then anybody can claim you. Um, so when I got traded to Dallas, I, and I went to training camp and saw the 8D were on one-ways and talking to my agent, it didn't seem like we were going to trade anybody. I, I mentally knew I was going to spend another year in the minors. So when I got down there, I was just like, I, I, it, was, it was the best year of my life. I, I had so much fun just playing. Didn't, didn't worry about making it to the NHL, but just because I was kind of in a standstill where I couldn't make it because of a contract situation. So just going throughout the year and, and playing great hockey and just having a blast. And a couple of the defensemen up in, in Dallas went down in one game and kind of another one went down. And I was like, all right, well, this might be getting called up here. And, you know, uh, I kind of had that in the back of my mind for, for a couple of days and went through a practice and team calls a meeting on the ice and, we're all in a circle and kind of pulls me in front of the team. He's like, all right, well, Gonzi's going up. And all the boys just kind of went nuts. And um, because, I mean, I was an older, I was, yeah, I was an older guy for, for being, uh, never having to play an NHL game. And um, everyone knew how much, you know, that's everyone's dream. But I really had such a drive to get there and um, to see their support. And um, yeah, it was, it was freaking awesome, man. I, sprinted off the ice and called my parents and they already knew so they already had a, a flight booked and uh yeah it was uh i think i'm the only guy in nhl history to be in the minor league picture and in the nhl picture and to be in the <laughs> nhl team picture without ever playing a game <laughs> so i'm well, just here for the dope. picture yeah so i showed my first day hey guys, i showed, I showed up and it was, it was the team picture yeah it was a little awkward there is nothing cooler than seeing a guy getting told that he's getting called up. Like I had to do mm. some rehab assignments and I'd watch some of these guys get their, you know, major league call up and dude, it is, it's one of the coolest things. Like we did beer showers for him as soon as we found out, like dudes yeah. were going nuts. It's so cool. So to hear like, that's how it went down for you. That's, that's so dope that you were right in front of the guys. And then yeah, man. here we go. It's, we're going to the show. It's like, it's like for it, it's like the same like being on the ice when someone scores their first goal. Mm. The, your only thing is I have to go get that puck for the, for him. Like it's just certain certain moments where it's yeah that's what's that's those are the cool parts about sports, man. Yeah. So how so how did it feel in your first game then when you finally got there? It was sick because I played against Chicago team that traded me. So oh, it was wow. like a it was like a big like oh I gotta show them what they're missing. You know what I mean? And uh, it was it was awesome. I. Uh, kind of came in as like an emergency call up and played really well uh I played the last 13 games of the year and they and they kept me up and I played throughout the playoffs that year and the rest is kind of history that's so dope that was that was in Chicago or was that in Dallas that was in, that was in Dallas oh uh, yeah. man it would have been even better yeah. if it was in Chicago uh, yeah I know what is your most iconic game 
to you, either it could be as a team that you were a part of or individual, or if you want to tell us both, that's fine too. But what is something that you were like, I can't believe this is it that like, this is something that you're going to remember for the rest of your life. Yeah, man. It's, uh, and I know (laughs) I might actually honestly get emotional talking about this just because it means so much to me, but, um, my hometown, uh, playing in Pittsburgh the first time was, was just like so epic for me. Um, truly like a Friday night light scene where all the restaurants in town, you know, literally everybody in town was there. Um, yeah, I had, and it was so cool because we never stay overnight and on road games, we're usually playing, we're out and we stayed that night in Pittsburgh. So I had the opportunity to say hi to everybody after the game and go out with everybody. And I think it took me like two and a half, three hours to say hi to everyone. I think there were six or 700 people there literally. And That's awesome. Decked out in, in Dallas Stars gear, and uh, uh, yeah, dude. And, and and every year it just got bigger and bigger, and that was that's cool. And, and and honestly, what was cool about it too is it got zero media attention, and and that's like that made it even more like real, right? So what what uh, when was the moment that it hit you and you were like, I'm actually here. I made it. I think, yeah, man. When I went home, I uh, kind of in the same situation. I, uh, I I played those last thirteen games, played the playoffs, and that was kind of all a whirlwind. And went home and was just driving around my hometown and saw a kid, like a, a little kid, wearing my jersey. That was <laughs> that. Yeah. I'm not gonna lie; is one of the coolest fucking things yeah. is when you see somebody rocking your jersey. Yeah, and and the thing is, my town. I know everybody. I everyone every, everyone knows me. I know everybody. And I didn't know that kid, and that's yeah, that was fun. That's yeah, that's that's that's, cool. that's that's like, yeah, you play the game to 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 be cool around kids, right? To to be an idol for kids. Yeah. Oh yeah. And that's yeah, that's a that's a pinch me moment there, man. So everyone likes to ask about the first goal, but let's ask a true hockey question: Is do you remember your first fight? Oh yeah, my first fight like in junior well, no, or in the NHL. 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 Yeah, yeah, it was it was a good one. I. I was definitely, uh, I was definitely the bigger boy. I, I hammered. It was against the. It was Shen. It was Braden Shen on. He was in Philly then, but he's in uh, St. Louis now. But I hit hit one of their guys, and he just stood up for his guy and kind of challenged me. And it was a it was a good first tilt for me. But I definitely definitely took my fair my fair share of lefts and rights to the face. You got your first fight. Um. So you're uh. Well, you remember that. So who uh or not who? Sorry. Yeah, who who was your first goal against? Ben Team Bishop. Was. And it was Ben Bishop. It was against Bish. Wow. Yep. yep. It was like my fifth game. It was it was sweet too. I I tied it up with like five minutes left in the game, and it was one of those. It was like one of those crazy regular season games. It felt like a, a playoff game, and uh, yeah, we ended up winning the game in overtime, and it was sick. That's so dope. Yeah. God, I was on the you ice. Remember that feeling very well. It just oh, yeah, sticks dude. out. Oh yeah. Everybody just crashing into you at the boards, just celebrating. It was open ice. It was a big old hug and open ice. It was sick. Seggy. I, the the my my picture because they give you they give you a, a plaque with your first with your goal in it framed and a and a picture from it and it's Seggy. It's Seggy to me, which is pretty cool. Because it's, yeah, I mean, wearing his hat. He's one of my one of my great He's friends. A great and, dude. Yeah. Um. It's just cool to have that, you know, hanging on my wall at home. 
what was the one moment? So, you, you know, you asked me this the other day, you were looking at the jerseys and you were asking me, uh, who was I starstruck by you yeah. know, that I got to play against and face? We had this conversation, but they didn't hear this. So I'm, I'm curious, tell them about who it was that you were so starstruck by. And was there somebody that you were kind of like in awe when you were on the ice, the actual ice next to this person? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so my, I mean, you're talking about Sid, right? Well, I mean, in, in general, it doesn't have to. Be, I know Sid. Oh, was you're, who you, you said the Sid struck. story. Yeah, yeah. No, I'll tell that story, and then I'll I'll say the other. And then, yeah. yeah, who who? Yeah, yeah. So I, it was the summer I got traded to Dallas with Sharpie. Um, the Penguins had just built their new practice facility, and it was the closest rink to my house, and it was just perfect. And we, you know, the NHL guys or AHL guys, college guys, we'd all skate together before the season, and a bunch of the Penguins would come back early, and Sid came back early to promote the new rink and just be around the new rink. And so he started skating with us and I had a fat head of Sidney Crosby on my wall at that time. Still at my parents' house, literally a Sidney Crosby fat head. And I was still, still living there and comes up to me, takes his glove off his hand and he shakes my hand and he's like, nice to meet you, Steven. I'm Sidney. And I was like, yeah, I know who you are. And he's like, <laughs> and he's like, uh, you know, Patrick's a really good friend of mine. Uh, you seem like I hear you're going to be a great player. Like, good luck in the rest of the career. Like, glad you're out here skating with us. And I mean, that that's by far numero uno, man. Uh, yeah, that's that was that's the most starstruck I've ever been in, and will be to this day ever. I think. What about even on the ice? Was there somebody that stood out to you, or is it still Crosby was that guy? Yeah, I mean, in the same sense, I I lined up against Yammer Yager, man. Uh, growing up in growing up in Pittsburgh, wow, uh, yeah, Yogs was the man, and the fact that I was literally five years old, going to watch him play, wearing his jersey, and then I was twenty five years old on the ice with him, looking like I remember I was at the face off dot, and I looked down, I didn't know I was on the ice, and I looked over, and it, and he just like kind of looked back at me and gave me like a. <laughs> Gave me like a, hey, how you doing? Please don't hit me look like we all do. And <laughs> it's, uh, that was, yeah, man. That was on the ice. I don't think anything will compare. Yeah. That was, no, that's. Yeah. So, so follow up from that. I'm sure you've seen Derek's extensive memorabilia collection. A bit of it. As far as I'm concerned, is a museum by itself. Dude, but it's, it's insane, right? Yeah, crazy. I mean, just the gloves behind you are insane. Mm-hmm. Um. Do you have anything either from your playing days, from another player, from another sport that's just that's just king for you? That's just you have this and like you ain't ever getting rid of it no matter what? Uh, not really. And we talked about this the other day. Is like you kind of have to wait your turn in the NHL to start asking guys for sticks. Like usually only a guy gives out a stick a game. So the older guys would get that opportunity first to get like Ovechkin's stick or get Kaner's stick or something. Yeah. Um, I mean, I got, I have, I have, I have Chubb signed. I have, I have a Saggy signed. I have Spez, you know, all the, le- all the legendary guys I played with. Um, but nothing like Derek has, man. That, it is. He needs, a, he needs a museum. With mm-hmm. Some of this stuff. Has he showed you what's in the stuff he just has in closets? Yeah. 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 He saw. He's seen everything. He saw the Willie Mays. He actually asked if he could wear the Willie Mays jersey onto the stream, <laughs> which is pretty funny. <laughs> But there, the the one thing that's crazy too, though, is like hearing how you said, like you couldn't, like I I started day one as soon as I got in the big leagues. I was, 
you know, sending over jerseys right away. Here, sign this Damn, yeah. for me. And I would talk to him. Like, mm-hmm. I would go out and just... That's the one thing I, I learned from a lot of the veteran guys, too. If, like, you wanted something, you have to go up there and literally ask them so they know it's really coming from you because usually what happens is the clubbies take it over. They get it signed. Right. It comes back. So they don't necessarily... I mean, they'll just say, yeah, this was such and such. But nobody, like, literally goes up and asks. So I would literally go up and ask these guys, hey... I'm going to send a jersey over. Can you sign it? It's for me. And it goes a long ways because those guys be like, oh, yeah, for sure. I got you. And they'll take care of you. Yeah, that's, that's sick. very rare. Do you have somebody which I didn't? I never had one person be like, uh, no, I'm not signing right. anything. The only thing I would say is I know uh, certain guys are very, 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 uh, I don't even know what you want to say. They're particular about how they go about it. Pujols is a guy that if he if you send something over it's getting signed to you so like if you one of you guys was like hey can you get this jersey signed for me if i tried to get that done he wouldn't even do it, it would still say to derek or to <laughs> dutch you know whatever he wrote so that there's certain guys that are like that but yeah we never had any waiting process of yeah hey, you, you need a little not, bit of time it's not like it's kind of just i don't know you just don't you just don't do it i guess you kind of have yeah. to it's kind of like an unwritten pecking order. That, Even if it was a jersey. I mean, jersey's different. Yeah. Or sweater. It, sorry if you send a yeah, sweater. No, nah, nah, that's Minnesota. Minnesota's the only place that says sweater. Really? Choppy yeah. said it. Yeah, but, he's, uh, but he's just trying to do so some hockey talk. Hang on, he's, hang on, hang on. So that's funny because, like, we, uh, our, our boss at work is, we, he's, they he call him the hockey hawk and he, like, reminds us every time it's a sweater, it's not a jersey. <laughs> No, I think that's just Which somebody is true, who doesn't. Yeah, yeah, just someone just trying to talk some hockey to. I've nah, yeah, nah. oh I, I, yeah, only Minnesota and Wisconsin kids call it sweaters, and then they call pants breezers. Breezers. Yeah, I've never heard that one. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you what I didn't really. I didn't. I never. I don't know what you guys call this. The winter hat. Like in the south, it's called a toboggan. Which I grew up in the north. That that's a sled. That's a yeah, sled. sled. That's not a yeah. hat. I just call All it a right. beanie. Wait, you call your. You, what you call those sleds? No, 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 no. Like, He's saying like what the, people down south call them toboggans, like a, a beanie. Uh, they call oh. that a toboggan, and we call it a sled up north. Yeah. A okay, toboggan was, is a sled, like yeah, a yeah. six-person sled. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. You, 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 you say uh, jet skis or ski doos? Jet ski. Oh my God, the ski doos. Yeah. <laughs> you call it a ski doo. It's ski doo in Jersey. And another yeah. good another good hockey term is uh, gear wear. We call it, that's like that's like another term for like style. Like if a guys got gear good style wear. on the ice, it's like how's his gear wear? Uh, we would just say gear. Yeah. Gear wear. Huh. And, I, and I guess swag is the new term for everybody now. Yes. Yeah, that's there. I got another thing too here with uh, so the Bill Masterson Memorial Trophy is awarded annually to the National Hockey League player who best exemplifies the qualities of perseverance, sportsmanship, and dedication to the ice hockey. Do you remember this? I do. So defenseman Stephen Johns of the Dallas Stars left wing, what the fuck, Oscar Lindblom of the Philadelphia Flyers. Oh, duh, I know who, what the fuck. And right wing Bobby Ryan of the Ottawa Centers are the three finalists of 2019 and 20 Bill Masterson Memorial Trophy. What did it feel, or what was it? What does it mean to you to be in the top three finalists for that award? Yeah, it was cool, man. Um, some big names that have won that award. And 
done some pretty incredible things uh not only for themselves but for for the, for the hockey community and for people in general and um yeah just to be especially with those two guys and um you know oscar battled cancer he battled back from cancer and um bobby had a had a bout with with alcohol and had to had to put himself in rehab and had to fight off those demons so um and then to come back the way they both did it was it's, it's very cool to see and to be a part of that that group so um yeah just honored to to be a part of the whole process i mean bobby ryan did end up winning it but that's still cool to be able to have your name is in that finalist yeah for sure and take so that away from the kid yeah that's true they can't so <laughs> no. let's let's dive into then how everything came about to begin with the mental mile yeah so i was up for that award um because i missed 20 or i missed 22 months uh due to concussions uh, i had three concussions in the span of like two months in 2018 and uh really struggled to to get back and uh really couldn't get better and uh, i got to a point where and i just said fuck it let's try it and came back and played and man it was it was unreal uh, coming back and playing, but still felt terrible. And then uh, the pandemic happened and uh, went into the bubble and just couldn't get through it. And uh, that's all she wrote there and kind of went on a, a pretty bad path after that. Uh, really battled with and, and struggled with depression and, uh, you know, anxiety and, and a lot of things after my concussions in 2018. And it was a, it was a pretty big battle. And had a had a lot of battles with uh, mental health on a on a daily basis and really started to uh drink my life away and abuse drugs and kind of I'd wake up and any time of the day and, and get as high as i could to sleep and sleep for as long as i could wake up and repeat it over again and uh it was a pretty a pretty brutal process and i was uh was pretty suicidal and I was in a really bad spot one night and came across a YouTube video that it was uh, Mike Posner walking across the country to kind of prove to himself that he was still alive and, and everything and he wanted to inspire people to do the same thing. So I was just like, fuck it, I'm gonna, I'm gonna rollerblade across the US and I'm gonna do this now. And uh, texted my buddy and sees, or asked if he wanted to come with me and we left five days later and uh, made it to Oregon. So my, to go back a little bit with the, the, the darkness of, you know, what was going on, the depression and all that, a lot of people deal with that. And, you know, me and you have actually had this conversation before, you know, the podcast. And that's kind of how I, I wanted to bring this about was you dealt with so much. And, you know, we talked about how, cause you play video games, I play video games and we stream and we get people in here and you know, Terps is one of the guys that helps me. Dyer gets in here. I've played with Choppy too. We've done leagues together. We don't truly know how much we make the impact of playing these games and interacting with the fans and doing these things. What was it that like sold you that you like, what, what was it that helped you get through a lot of this darkness? Cause I know, I mean, I've been in a, a dark time now. Not I, I know it's not to the extremes of what you were going through, but there's something that always sets you off that gets you back on track and opens up, I guess, more for you. What was it that set it off for you that you knew this is what you were going to do? 
getting back into this, getting people involved and helping and all that. Like, I know you watched the video, but what <laughs> something, something triggered you, something set you off. What was it? What was it that helped actually is what I want. Yeah. I, um, I think it was just, I don't know, man. I, cause you've said you, you know, yeah. when we talked, you know, you said you've come close twice. Yeah. Something got you out of that. Yeah. Uh, something, and something got it going. But at the same time, you know, when you were in that, there were still, there's still moments, even though you're going through these tough times, there were still moments that something was making you okay, feel happy. Yeah. You know, you had like little moments. Nice yeah. I mean, workshop. I, I had, I mean, I had an incredible support system, man. Um, my girlfriend at the time, uh, she physically or like literally became my doctor. Um, she, every doctor, you know, it didn't help me and she made more doctor's appointments for me and, and scheduled meetings with nutritionists, meetings with, you know, mental health, meetings with different therapists. She, I don't know, man, I, without her, I don't, I don't know if I'm still here and I, I have a dog and <laughs> he's a therapy dog, man, and he's not mm -hmm. qualified or anything, but man, just being around him helped and, uh. I think all dogs, yeah, all animals, really. They, it's they know, they know what's going on. Yeah, they always it's, listen. That's the big thing. That's a fact. It's, it was they always tough, listen. Though. They're always there. Yeah, it was just, it was tough though. But because in my situation, I had a headache all day, every day. So nothing anybody told me or or any and nothing anybody did or told me helped me. So I kind of just said fuck off to everybody and only let my girlfriend in really. And I kind of shut my family away and I shut my friends off because I didn't want them to be a part of my life anymore while I was this version of myself. Um, and I think there were a couple moments where I would get that feeling where I wanted them back in my life. And I was always just hesitant and literally watching that video, man, it was like, I need to do this for everyone in my life. Not just me this is way like this is so much more important for everybody who cares about me than how i care about myself if that makes any sense i don't know no it's uh it's it's good to to hear it because it's the thing is the more people hear how you went about this and how you handled it, it hopefully it, it can touch more people's lives and get them to understand that they're still important like everybody's mm -hmm. there you know we care for each other we Sometimes we don't know. We, we don't know how to approach. You know, you don't know when somebody's really going through something like that because it's easy to put that that fake smile up. Yeah. Everybody can do that. So you never know. And it's hard to get somebody to talk about these kind of things because it's an uncomfortable situation. And it's something that it might make it harder on them to, like, it might put them in that bad spot. Now it's like, well, fuck, I'm talking to you about this, but it sucks because now I this is how I feel. How am I going to get out of this again? Yeah, especially in a team sport too, where you don't want to make it about yourself. Right. And yeah, that's that's the other thing too. You know, and you know, because if you make it about yourself in a team sport, you're seen as selfish, and you know, you you don't want to make yourself a distraction around the team. So yep. you know, dude, being injured is. I mean, you've you've experienced it. It's there's it's fucking hell. It's uh, you're not a part of the team, and you 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 can do nothing. Um to impact anything and and that's the hardest part about being an athlete is not being able to have an impact on 
you know what you do for a living and that really fucks with you and when that's not just a six to eight week process when that's a six month process and then lead on leading into two year process and man it, it really uh it really brings you down and whenever you whenever doctor after doctor after doctor tells you you're fine whenever you know you're not um really makes you contemplate everything and uh hopefully my story can can help a lot of people finding themselves in a similar situation to to know that there's some light at the end of the tunnel but because um for literally three and a half years i, I didn't think there was any and uh that's a that's a scary thought so those are really big stigma in the world of mental health and how it's manly to not discuss mental health and better to bottle things up and you've seen that through the grapevine with different leagues what was your experience with the nhl and your team and handling that and do you see that there's room for growth there or do you think the nhl kind of leads the forefront uh, the NHL does definitely not leave the forefront. I'll tell you that in, in a heartbeat. Um, no, uh, we don't have team psychologists. Um, yeah, no, it's, a, it's no. Wait, so, so you guys don't have that at all? Because we—that's the one thing I got lucky when I went through a lot of stuff in the past uh, with one of my engagements. I just remember we had Michael Young is the one that introduced me to Don Coxine is who I still talk to to this day psychiatrist wise so you you guys didn't have that access at all we have it access through through the union but we but have it's to, not yeah no not to the teams no it's, it's yeah, tough tough. Scenes. tough scenes yeah the um, other thing I, I was gonna bring up too with that like which go ahead whatever you're gonna say right now about the the psychiatrist sorry no i was just i was just gonna follow up with the rest of the question but um but i don't even remember it's uh you know just saying what, like bad. uh how, how are my teammates and stuff and yeah uh, yeah why did they none of them knew um really i mean did you just shield that from it It was like was that kind of like the wall was up well it's like how you feeling today john he was like yeah, i still got a headache i feel all right but that was kind of what i said i never really mm-hmm. told the did guys you- hey hey i just i just cried for 45 minutes on the way to the rink and when i leave here i'm gonna cry the 45 minutes on the way home so it's like but you do know, you, how, how do you say that in a locker room setting? Well, yeah. that's what I'm trying to think. It's like how yeah. if you don't say anything, which and again, it's easy yeah. to sit here and say this, but you know, it's it comes down to some people don't know how to handle that. Like how that would like it's the uh, the awkward conversation of getting into that. Like yeah, and I I I remember having full blown panic attack in the in the locker room in in my recovery process almost right before I came back. And I mean, I was a mess. I was my, I literally couldn't like control my body. I was shaking. I was crying. I, I mean, in front of the fucking whole team and no one knew what to do. Um, and some guys didn't even notice. And it's like, if I saw a guy going through something like that, I don't know what I would, I wouldn't know what to say. There's gotta be now. Now I think you would just because yeah. Now I would just like I would just go yeah yeah. But I mean, for for me, I never experienced anything like that. So yeah, I don't know. I don't know. The crazy part is, it's hard for people not in sports, not around that culture, to share. Period. Yeah. Just just a normal everyday life. Oh, for sure. Without the pressures of of a locker room. And so I can't imagine, like I've gone through 
similar things, but of course I've never had the pressure of a locker room. So just to compound the, the, the regular stresses of what you're going through compounded with the, the nature of a locker room. Well, then add the fact that I signed a three-year contract and yeah. I didn't play on it. Yeah. Like, and I, I come from a town where it's a, a boy, you work for your money around here. Uh, yeah. Like as hard, as hard as you're going to work, that's, ex- that's the exact result you're going to get out of. So <clears throat> for someone like me who has this, I mean, and that, that's like, that's my core, right? Blue collar, Western PA, like Rust Belt, like that is who I am as a person. And to sit there and, and be getting these checks every two weeks and literally not be doing anything, that ate at me worse than anything, was making all, making all this money and not really earning it. And then everybody's saying, not, and then everybody's saying to me, after I would tell, say that to them, and be like, oh, but you did earn this. It's like, you can't, you can't tell me how to feel. So, yeah. then when I, so then when you say stuff like that, when you're really struggling, people don't know, and they like, almost contradict, contradict you and like, push back counter at dick? you. That, Wait, did you say you, counter dick? Yeah, true. <laughs> when they, no, but when they, when they contradict you or like, give you any pushback, that just makes you shut down even worse. Yeah. So it's such a fine line to where... And you don't really, you have no idea truly what someone's going on, so what what someone's going through on a daily basis, and how how we how we kind of break down those barriers. Yeah. I don't know, but I think it starts with having conversations like this. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. like, even after having, sure. even after you know, talking about how we wipe our asses, like why, yeah. why, why does a serious conversation have to have to wait until it has to be serious? Like why can't? Yeah. Why can't your boys who are just your boys be sitting around and you'd be like, hey, boys, like, can I talk to you guys about something? Like, why isn't that more normal? It's because it's not fucking cool. It's not, you know what I mean? And everything's about being cool. And You're like, right. hey, and like, I'm in a place in my life now where if someone doesn't want to talk, doesn't want to be in a conversation that, that I'm in and we're, and everyone's having, I'll ask them to leave. Be like, it doesn't, like, if we're having like a serious conversation and they're not engaged or they're on their phone, I'll, I'll ask them to leave because. Yeah shit like that's important to me now and yeah. just having that the human connections like i yeah i just i think yeah. i think hit the nail on the head you said that the one of the worst parts is like when you when you open up and then someone contradicts you or kind of goes back i mean i went through this where it's like you, you're sitting there feeling like oh i just opened up to you yeah like i'm trying i'm trying to trust you i'm trying to share my feelings i'm taking a leap of faith with you and you're right. I think it's because a lot of people don't know how to answer. Yeah. And sometimes, at least for me personally, it was, I don't need you to answer. I just want you to listen. Yeah. And that's why yeah. I, and that's why I really struggle with therapy too. Because when I was, when I, my, in the first, I mean, I, it took me 10 therapists to find the right mm-hmm. one because I felt yeah. like every, every therapist, I thought that they didn't understand what I was going through. You know what I mean? But when really they were just listening and, and asking me questions, but I took it as they were, pushing back on me so it's yeah i could see that yeah i think it's it's a it's such a hard uh yeah man it, mental health is, is it's fucking scary it's, it's a demon i think too it makes a lot of sense with what you said about just making the conversation kind of normalizing that you know because yeah empathy is hard enough and i think with a something like this it's even harder for people to empathize with something that in our culture is such 
it's it's so counterintuitive to to have that feeling and it yeah. and and that's where it makes it hard to to bring it up and to talk about it when you don't know that somebody has been through and felt something similar at least to what it is that you're feeling in that time oh yeah because because they're really to be that vulnerable to talk about the way that you feel to the point in your darkest moment it's i don't know it, it's really hard for for one to, to to bring that up to somebody that you don't know that they've True. felt that same way it's, mm -hmm. it's i think it's really hard i don't know yeah and obviously it takes some comfortability with people and um i feel like i have a good read read on people like derek i is you know we chilled for a couple hours the other night and i shared my story because you know you can tell when someone is engaged and and and, and when it, and cares about your story or, or is just interested in your story or just interested in you as a person um and you got to find those people that, that want to have yeah. those conversations man obviously there's some there's some people out there that don't give a shit um yeah. you know i, I there's a lot of people that that still like chirp me on Twitter for for rollerblading across America to prevent to raise awareness for mental health and suicide prevention. It's like how there's people out there that are just horrible. So you kind of almost yeah. have to. Yes, I was getting ready to say there's yeah there find are the good people that yeah. try to just talk shit just because they want to see if they can get a rise out of you. Yeah, and, yeah. and you just you just have honestly you just have to find the good ones and latch onto them and. And that's what I did with my support system. Whenever I was in my darkest days, I I leaned on them, and it wasn't just my mom or my and my dad. I I would call buddies who I hadn't talked to in a while, and just and just shoot the shit with them, and not even share what I was going through, but just to just to do be something. Able to... Yeah, just to be able to talk to somebody. Um, just talking was was the hardest part for me, but it's a, it's a snowball effect. Once you start, you you can't stop. I think too, it's one of the so, things that speaks. Sorry, go ahead. No, you're, I was just saying, just because it's so rewarding. I was just going to say one of the things that I think speaks volumes, and that really kind of hit me hard when you were talking about it, um, you know, being in the locker room and really having that moment of crisis um, and people not knowing how to react to that. I think yeah. it just shows you how far we still have to come mm -hmm. with this topic as a society uh, and as a group of people on how to react when someone is having that moment of crisis and, and how, how to react. Because I think one of the worst things that can happen in that situation is for no one to react. Yeah, because that that's... makes you feel even that much more alone in yeah. that moment. Yeah. Or, or have someone react for about five seconds and then stop and go tape someone's ankle. Mm -hmm. Yeah just i did my job all right i'm leaving now like no yeah not even like what's going on oh wait i'll be right back i i think too the tough part is the other side of the equation the people again people don't know how to listen and it's because it's uncomfortable yeah for a lot of people which it is it's not supposed to be comfortable nothing right. about this is supposed to be you know a lot of these conversations are going to be comfortable. correct but i think the one thing that a lot of people need to realize is people are coming to you for a reason. They trust you, they, whatever it is. And sometimes just, just being there for them, not saying a word 
does wonders. Oh, Sometimes yeah. it's a little thing like I went through a, I went through a time and I've told this story to Derek and some other people. I went through a time where I was I was I was very close and I got a call out of the blue from somebody. Just calling checking up saying how you doing, dude? Yeah. Are you doing all right? And uh I can honestly say that that call stopped some very bad things from happening. Yeah. And it wasn't preempted. There was no I hadn't really, you know, reached out saying, "Hey man, I'm in a really bad place right now." Right. No, it was a it was an un you know, prompted Hey man, what's going on? Just mm. how, how you feeling today? And it's little things like that that I think a lot of people take for granted that sometimes it's that personal connection that people are missing and just they just want someone to be like you said, just hey, let's just shoot the shit. Yeah. yeah. I don't need to talk about how my day's going. I just wanna how's your dog doing? You know? Right. How's game and life treating you? How's your new lawnmower? It's little shit like that that just seems inconsequential. That's a huge burden lifter. Yeah, I remember <laughs> I mean, I, I would remember calling friends and, and talking for literally 45 minutes and, and having to apologize and being like, sorry, man, I literally just haven't talked to anybody in yeah. fucking two months, except for my girlfriend and, and the guy working me out at the rink. Um, oh, working was, you out, huh? Yeah, it was. Oh, yeah, I was. To, uh, you trying to compete with me and uh, Choppy here on our bubble? No, nah, not, not anymore. <laughs> you, you oh, yeah. Get in this calling contest. We, 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 we got limited <laughs> spots remaining. Ah, I'm good. I'm good. I think my schedule's pretty full. <laughs> it sounds like a sounds like a time though. Good time. It's a great time, man. <laughs> oh, we'll catch the highlights or not. My my thing I, I want to say too is because you spoke on injury. Obviously, when this happened, this is how it all began. Being hurt, I've been hurt three years in a row when I was with Texas, and I became like questioned it or called sometimes like injury prone. I couldn't stay on the field, all that stuff. But also, like you spoke on it stop. too, is yeah, it, it's probably right. I'm just messing with you. Chop, Choppy was definitely one of those assholes that talks shit about me. There's and no then, way. And then he was like, ah, oh, you know what? He's my best friend now. This guy is great. Uh, no, <laughs> he gets my kids PlayStations. Uh, <laughs> but no like in all seriousness it's a lonely time which you were talking about with injuries you know you are you're like a fucking ghost walking in the clubhouse that's and that's yeah. one thing that i made sure i changed going forward i got hurt this past year it was my first time truly being hurt since being with the rangers and the thing i made it known i am not letting a single person whoever gets hurt any time in the year I'm going to make sure they know that they are a part of this clubhouse. They're going to be noticed. They're going to be seen. They're going to be heard. We're not walking around like a fucking zombie and, you know, you walk as if he's a fucking mime. No, we're going to talk to this person, get him involved. And because I felt that. I felt what you said, and it was 100% true. The first time I got hurt, I had the knee surgery, and literally I'm going through the clubhouse. I was already just devastated because it's like I ruined that season. And then on top of that, we had the most injuries that year with the Texas Rangers. We set the record for the most guys called up and the most guys hurt in a single season. And I'll never forget, like, the way guys would go through that clubhouse was, I could have literally walked through and be like, hey, Beltre, what's up? Crickets. Nothing. Like, it could literally just walk past and be like, did he not just see me right here? Like, or I, you know put a high five out there and it was like literally like nobody's touching my hands like I have COVID now or something like 
it was just ridiculous. And you nailed it is I feel like that helped create more of the dark place. It enhanced it. It made it bigger because it's like, I have no friends. I have nobody I can fucking talk to that's on this team that I'm super close with. Like what's going on? So I know that that, to me, that played a factor in, in like what was going on. Do you, if, if there was anything that you could do to go back in time or to pass on forward to other athletes, what would you say? Well, that's, it's such a, for me, man, it was so hard because I had never been injured before. Like I never I missed it. I never missed a game growing up. I never missed a game in college. Um, I turned pro and then I, the injuries started happening. And then, so that it, it like hit me like a brick. And then going back, like, I don't know if I would change anything around how I carry myself around the rink because I felt like I tried to be as present as I could without being a distraction because I had an injury that you couldn't see. Mm-hmm. And yep. it's different whenever a guy has a, has, a, has a boot on or a sling on and he's cracking jokes and, and still like, pulling pranks with the guys and, and having fun because he's got a timeline. He's got four to six weeks. He's coming back. He's rehabbing. You know, he's getting better on a day-to-day basis. And I was getting fucking worse on a day-to-day basis. Oh. And, and, and the headaches were getting worse and, and my anxiety, like everything, everything was getting worse. And the more I pretended, the shittier I felt because I just felt like I was a, a shell of my myself and I was just pretending... That's the worst feeling is just to fucking pretend, um, especially in such a manly sport. And like, I don't know. And it was, uh, it was, it, yes, of course I, I would go back and, and wish I was around the team more and wish I carried myself a better way. But man, I, I don't know. I really don't know if I could have because I was in such a bad spot. I, I, I needed... Well, what if you could have talked yeah. to yourself? If yeah. you could have gone back and talked to yourself, would you have tried to push more to, hey, man, we really got to, we got to talk to people. We got to try to get this out. It's going to help you. hundred percent. hundred percent. Like it took me almost a year and a half to, to see a therapist. Gosh. Um, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and that was like, and it was pretty much forced by my girlfriend. Like pretty much you need to see a therapist or, or I'm leaving you pretty much. Do you think help. that was do you think that was more of you getting comfortable with the therapist cuz I know when I first thought about talking to a therapist it was like that fear of man I don't want to be sitting here telling him all of this stuff like I didn't no. feel comfortable I was dying to tell somebody something I was dying to to talk oh. to somebody Okay um but I thought that my story was so unique so mm. different that this old dude sitting in the chair across from me has no fucking idea what I've been through. So how could he give me any advice or how could he understand? And that was truly my mentality for 22 months, dude. And dang, man. Um, I literally had that mentality going into 10 different therapists and um, it just set me back even further because it made me not want to get help even more because it was like I every time I'm reaching out to get help, it's making me worse. So I would just... Yeah, man, it was it was such a trial and error, and they were all errors <laughs> for for a long time. But you know, something clicked, and I will say it's it's extremely discouraging to 
not click with a therapist. Sucks. But I, I will also say that it's it's really easy to say after the fact once right. you found the right therapist. But you people have to you got to keep pushing yeah. until you find the right one. Yeah, and, and what makes you feel feel. And happy. You, but yeah. you also have to be careful too, in the same sense because, like, I I became I thought I found my therapist, and then he, you know, monetized everything in like in one text message. Our entire he didn't, our entire like 40, 50, 50 sessions we had together, I didn't respond to a text message, and he texted me back saying, "If you want to meet in the future, let me know. If not, good luck." And so there's. Whoa. There's some yeah. There's some there's yeah. some bad therapists out there too. Yeah. So, um, you yeah. have to really be careful. And um, I, I right now I I'm working with one that I when I when he texts me it's like it's like having a girlfriend in high school. Like I get excited when I see his text when I see his name pop up on my phone, and that's the kind of feeling you want with your therapist. And um, I agree with that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I I like I I am I'm we haven't talked in about a week and. I'm hopping in a car tomorrow to drive to Aspen, Colorado, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I can't wait to call. Yeah, and that's, and that's, see, that's good. And that's cool because two years ago, three years ago, I didn't even want to go to therapy, and, yeah. and and failed so many times. So I guess my message through that is don't, don't quit trying to find a therapist. You will find the right one. But and dude, it's awesome. Yeah. Uh, you know, obviously awesome what you're doing with the mental miles, like what, obviously you told us how it kind of came about. So where it, you take off, what's, what's, what's the mindset here? What are we doing? Yeah. So, uh, texted my buddy, Jeff, and he was the videographer for the stars and he wanted to sit down with me anyways and, and let me tell my story. And, uh, I asked him if he wanted to go on this trip with me and he had just left the stars and took another job. So he had the whole summer off and he was like, let's go. And what was cool about it is I spent five years with Jeff and we were, you know, friends on the ice, but we weren't like friends around the locker room and stuff, but not really the closest of friends. And at the beginning of the trip, he said, you know what, we're going to make a documentary out of this, but if nothing comes out of it, let's make this a fucking sick road trip. And like, let's make this, make this something like that's awesome for us and like let's make this a memory so it wasn't even about anything like mental miles it's about like let's fucking do something crazy together and four hours into my trip i'm in the middle of ohio and we're pulling out of a gas station and i'm rollerblading out and i hear steven i turn around and some kids waving me down and it's like a 17 year old kid and he's like hey man i just wanted to let you know, like, I was in a really bad mood this morning and I was just like, had no motivation to get through the day and I have to go to school here in a little bit and just want to let you know I was scrolling through Instagram and your post came up and I looked up and I saw you and just want to let you know, like, I, I'm like excited. I fall, I'm like, I'm going to follow your journey and like, good luck. He's like, you're motivating me right now. And just like, do that right there, four hours into my trip was like, all right this is fucking real. This is, this is something way bigger than me. And how we went about it, man, we literally just zoomed in on Google maps and went West. Sorry. I'm not laughing at you. Yeah. You're I just the head? heard head fucking just let one go. What was that? That's head sleeping right That's now. Head snoring. No. I'm not trying to take anything away oh, from yeah. John Z here and his, his story, but 
Dude, that was loud. Like you're gonna hear it. Gnome is gonna hear that so loud. <laughs> that man deserved falls, his <laughs> He falls asleep on the, like any. It, it's just so quick. It's ridiculous. But I love it. So jealous. So, so what was during this journey? I mean, where'd you start? Ob- where'd you yeah. start again? I start in my driveway in Pennsylvania. Okay, so it was you went a true home to home to coast. Okay. Yeah. I mean, coast so, to coast, but home to coast, yeah. Home to coast, yeah. So, I mean, one, the journey is a, one, a great metaphor for what you went through, I think. Yeah. But yes, looking at the journey itself, were there times, I'm sure there were, but were there specific times you were just like, this is, I'm done? No. And then, no. Awesome. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's sick. Yeah. Because you hear these stories a lot and people go, there was, and you, no one can fault you if there were times. You, I mean, no, I mean, if, like if, across the country, that's not if, if there ever was an easy feat. If there ever was one time where I was like, oh, fuck, it was one mile in and I was puking. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> oh, oh wow. really? Well, I was all gassed up. I had the I had the firefighters and the cops from my town. They, they wanted to send me out. So, so you were going a little too fast. Uh, right? Yeah, they were, follow, right they the were following me across the main bridge and I was fucking humming. And at this point, <laughs> I hadn't I hadn't worked out in a lot. I mean, I literally was doing nothing. I, I strapped on brand new rollerblades and went never even worn them before and uh it was it was wild dude it was a wild ride what well, i was gonna say is new skates like new shoes do you get like isn't oh, that yeah. kind of uncomfortable too it was brutal man i, I had i had blisters from my heel to my toe on both oh. feet like yeah oh. but it was so what was a part of the journey that just apart from other than the kid that just surprised you along the way like what was something or things during the journey you're like oh, i didn't expect that to happen that that's kind of sick uh from like a just like a from your perspective in general um i mean i obviously had some crazy mental breakthroughs but i'm a, I, i'll save that for the for the documentary um but we saw some cool shit man we saw buffalo we saw we saw moose we saw elk we saw shit ton of bald eagle uh so coolest thing the coolest thing i saw was we were in the badlands national park in south dakota and i mean the, the mountain was literally like straight up and down 90 degrees and i watched a, a mountain goat or whatever the hell they are a ram was straight up the mountain and it was crazy just one of those like didn't even phase him he yeah just... yeah one of those things is like a, a human has zero percent chance yeah and this thing just made it look like it was a knife through a butter it was sick it was sick <laughs> so what okay for those that don't know how many miles a day were you doing uh it kind of depended on the terrain um a lot of days i'd probably wake up and i'd I'd roll for three or four hours which would accumulate to like 20 or 30 miles depending on god dang that's so impressive and we eat lunch we pull off on the side of the road and eat eat a turkey sandwich and uh hop back in and go for another three four hours and um i think the most i did in a day was 60 or 70 and uh probably averaged around 40. It was, it, was, it was pretty wild. A day, holy shit, dude! And honest, honestly, dude, it like it wasn't hard. I mean, you, you like my, it was. My blades were so big, and I'll show you, Derek, before I leave. Like I have in my truck, there the wheels were so big. And once you got going, you kind of just had to like just keep just going. Like, yeah, just keep momentum. Yeah, and, e- and even when I wanted to go fast, it really wasn't. I didn't have to like blow my load to go. 100% I I could just kind of go at a, a a good smooth pace and I would hit 20 25 miles per hour is and, there a uh, speed that you get scared yeah 
I got I was terrified. I was going like thirty eight. Yeah, Holy and, I, shit, and I didn't dude. I didn't have uh I didn't have my wrist guards on or my elbow pads. Like for the most part, I was I was pretty safe. I wrist guards were like my number one. Got to have them on at all times. And I just it was like towards the end of the trip, I was getting pretty cocky and took off down a hill without giving Jeff a heads up and <laughs> didn't realize how steep and long it was. So and he I asked him how fast I was going. And he said I, I hit like thirty eight, thirty nine. I was flying. Cause like Whew. you probably don't like you probably don't skate without a stick very often, right? No, like, yeah, like never. So I was doing the old the old speed skater with the, the arms tucked behind the back, and it was <laughs> it was awesome. Yo. I really I really lived that one up. <laughs> That's gosh. Is there any- so you got a future career in a uh, Olympic rollerblading when that comes around? Well, I was you know when we were doing that we ran into a an Olympic speed skater in Chicago. He was training in the summer, and how he does it is rolled literally the rollerblading that I was doing, like the same rollerblades, and. uh I was like contemplating, like, should I train for a year and see if I can make the Olympics as a speed skater? Why not? And then yeah. I, no, I skated with this guy, and there was no chance. There was no chance. Whole different ball game there. Yeah. You don't I think mean, if you took the time and started training for it, you could do it? Not in a year. No. But now, well, the Olympics are in a week. You got now. You got four years. <laughs> yeah. I bet. I uh, man, now. I bet you. I bet you. Four years ago, I, I would have had a good chance. Because I was, I was a hell of a skater, especially but straight you're lines. You're not going to lose that skill. That's like, yeah, but you lose that endurance, man, and your legs. Holy shit. Build it back up, though. You have four years. It's your different, though, man. Probably good enough where it would, you would get your endurance back probably pretty quick, right? Yeah, but it's, it's different. Um, it's different between like, skating legs. Like, and, guy, and guys will tell you this. Like Older guys will tell you this, too. You, you get to a certain – and I, I started losing mine early. You like get to a certain age where you just kind of lose your legs, yeah. and 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 nothing you can really do prepare. I mean, I and every summer I felt like I trained harder and harder. I was in the best shape yeah. of my life every year, and it got to some games where if you were playing your fourth game in seven nights, you had absolutely nothing, and you could feel it. And then you have, and then you see a, you see Miro Haskinen come out, and he's playing thirty-two minutes and skating full full go the whole time, and. I'm dying playing 16 minutes and it's just, you just lose them out over time. And some guys lose them earlier than others. And, uh, that's probably honestly the reason why the NHL career is so short is mm-hmm. guys lose their legs. While you were ro- rollerblading and, and doing all this and obviously filming a documentary at the same time, or what were some of the challenges that you faced with that? Or was it just became so natural with filming and just kind of going with it that you didn't, even notice it yeah um we told me from the beginning where he was pretty much like are you comfortable with a camera on you and i was like as, as, as much as i could say yes and what was cool about it is he wouldn't tell me when he was rolling so there was a lot of times during the trip that i had no idea the camera was rolling and that's like a lot of good there's a lot of good content from that and some raw like real emotion and um i was never uncomfortable around it um definitely aware of it Definitely wasn't ripping my horn out on it and 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 everything, but um, no, it was it was it was so cool to to be around somebody in that professional field too and, sh- and see his passion and interest in my project and showing and sharing my story like the perfect way, and uh, yeah, all the credit goes to him, man, because uh, I don't know if I go on that trip without him, and 
I don't know if I'm still on this on this earth without that trip. So do yeah. you uh do you think also too, was there moments that you were like, Man, I can't I'm I'm done. I have to stop. I cannot do this. Like, like there, you know, there's always that yeah, there's always that temptation of I, I just can't go anymore. Not even almost, brother. Never. You were always yeah. full go. I mean, that is I think you yeah. might have already said this term, so I apologize. But oh, you're good. Yeah, no, yeah, I, I was, was just curious. If, human. Like, it's it was it's, yeah, no, you would think it, but dude, I it was I would rather go on that trip than play 169 NHL games. Really? Yeah. It was that rewarding? Yeah. That's pretty cool uh, to hear. A thousand times over. The, I mean, I think I, and like, just to put this in like perspective terms, I think I had like 11,000 followers before my trip. I gained like 10,000 followers in the first two days. Okay. With just, but just coming with that, I had, dude, I had, I couldn't keep up with my messages because we were posting on Instagram and Twitter and just not messages like people reacting to your story, like full blown paragraphs of people telling me their whole story, how much I've inspired them, what, what I've done to take them out of their hole. And literally mm. if I read one of those, dude, it was like, let's fucking go. And I had 30 of those or 40 of them or a hundred of them a day. Like you want to talk about being motivated? Like that's the most, that was the most rewarding thing I've ever done. And I, and I haven't even, we haven't even shared the documentary and I, I'm so excited to see the impact the documentary has because it, it literally encompasses everything I've talked about and everything that I'm passionate about, especially now. And, it was just so impactful, man. And, the, and at no point where I was like, what the fuck am I doing? Like, that's it was, so awesome. It that's, was the whole time. The whole time was, how can we keep this going? I mean, it was, it was never. And you'll see it. Like, when I get to the coast, I'm like, I'm sad. I'm, I'm like, yeah. I'm like disappointed because I'm like, shit, it's over. now what? Yeah. Forrest Gump, bro. Yeah. yeah. I was yeah. running. <laughs> <laughs> I just fight, man, if I had a, if I had a dollar for every time someone called me Forrest Gump after I told him my story, <laughs> you are you you truly yeah. are the real Forrest Gump. Yeah, you just I did guess. it on blades. Yeah, and my my thing is too, like you know, you got all these interactions on your Instagram, Twitter, all that. How many interactions did you have though that were on this journey, like happening? Oh, dude, we had we had some freaking well, like cool part about it is. What we did every single night is we cracked open a beer. Didn't matter where we were. Like if we were in a town, we went to a bar and had, we had to have one beer every night, just like celebrate the day. And <laughs> that's so cool. Yeah. Whether it was around a campfire or at a shitty bar, or a dive bar in the middle of, in, in Plankington, South Dakota, where the best pizza in the world lives. Um, Bold statement. <laughs> yeah. uh, it, it, it was cool. I mean, we, there was one night in Montana in, in, in uh, Bozeman, Montana. What a town. Um, we sat at a bar with the, with the owner of the bar and his wife for four hours. And by the end of it, his wife was like, full, like bawling her eyes out because she was telling us her whole story. And just, yeah, man, I met, met so many different people along the way that we partied with or just had beers with and just like told us our story. We met. I met a guy who lives in Seattle. He he was a military. He was in the military for ten years, and 
this kid was there and we follow each other on instagram now and we're we're planning we're gonna plan a trip together it's like i met this dude on my trip and he's like one of those crazy bird suit jumper guys and like he just posted a video the other day of him cutting himself out of his parachute because i got twisted like just crazy people you meet and i told him my story and obviously my story really resonates with people in the military and people who have served and um so yeah it was it was awesome man just literally every there was one bad part in the trip and we ran into some hillbillies in the middle of south dakota and that was ended up being turned into the best night of the trip so it was that's gosh yeah it was i mean when i say it was a dream come true it was yeah it was sick man it was sick wow sometimes things just let you know you made the right choice yeah yeah and i wish i could still be going that's that's what's crazy about it that's how you know you really made a right choice yeah yeah still still ready to keep going and keep going um i think it's just it's just wild that your switch was just so quick youtube video man yeah yeah, it just takes something like that just something something small and something you inconsequential to so many people yeah i mean it's like yeah 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 it was well, it's like the kid who you saw is like you know that's that's something so small hey i saw you on instagram yeah like and the chance that he happened to see you mm-hmm. there and that he happened to be having a bad day and that he you happened to post and that he happened to see that yeah and for him to like it's just little things like that that i think people miss where it's just man it's it's tiny it's tiny 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 little things in life that just change your whole perspective yeah and it, it happened to me fucking a week ago i we ran into this this young girl in oregon uh she used to work at the aac at stars games and had no idea that she had been going through stuff and she was just so excited that we were there and so excited to see us i get a, a message a week ago in my in my on instagram my dms and it's it's the girl's mother and she just reached out and said hey steven like i just i'm, I'm so-and-so's mother just wanted to reach out to you and let you know like when you ran into my daughter in Oregon and told her your story and she showed, you know, you showed her how to get out of a dark hole. Like you saved her life. Like, I wish you could see how much better she's doing now compared to before when she saw you. And that's, that's fucking crazy, man. That I just did something for myself, but in, in doing that, I helped thousands of people. And I, I say all the time, I hope, People watch this video and they're just like, fuck, that's some cool rollerblading videos. That's the thing too. You know what I mean? I hope that people don't get anything out of it. Going yeah. Going forward, I your video could be what was your video. You know, yeah. what was your set? Yeah. What got you to get out of that? It could be somebody else's. Yeah, exactly. And and, and that's what I'm so I want to show Mike Posner my video. Like I would love to sit down and be like, this is what you did for me and like thank you pretty much um yeah i think it's i think it's gonna be i think it's gonna be awesome well i do want to ask uh you know if you ever had the chance if somebody was watching this that's never was never able to get out or i shouldn't say was never able to that's having trouble getting out of the dark place what kind of advice would you pass on to those that are watching or those that are in need and help and what is the what is the thing that you would tell these people if you had that chance to actually sit down and talk to them 
one thing that helped me a lot was I tried to do three three nice things every day for a random person, and I tried to witness three random acts of kindness. So whether that's just opening some some guy opening the door for somebody else, um, that means that I would just have to get out of my house and go look at shit, or and then me having to do three kind things meant I had to interact with other humans. So that's what, and that was one of the mechanisms my therapist worked with through, through me. And that was something that really helped me was doing three nice things for random people and trying to witness three random acts of kindness because it, it took up like two or three hours all the day. And that's, that's a big chunk of change whenever you're sitting inside for weeks on end in the dark. So, and that's from like a strategical standpoint, but from like a, a mental standpoint is, uh, you know, everyone's got a support system and you just have to fucking lean on them. Uh, be honest with them. Um, if you're struggling, don't hold anything back. Uh, don't hide from your emotions because it's the worst thing you can do. Um, once you accept your emotions and, and live with your emotions, fuck, it's, uh, it's pretty fun. Well, that's good. Well, the one thing I do want to share, because this is another thing that people need to know about you and also be able to interact with you too. You're a gamer, you're a streamer. Uh, obviously, we're going to want, you know, we can do that at the end, you don't have to do it yet. But what is the game of choice? What do you what do you like to play? Do you when you stream, do you get to interact with the fans as well as as you yeah. I mean, as as well? Yeah, so when I streamed, it was I I don't really stream anymore just because I've been busy doing this and um but when I did I, I loved interacting with the fans. That was pretty much what I streamed who I streamed for and um I I'm definitely like a first person shooter game player. Mm. Uh Warzone, Apex. Um <coughs> trash. I pretty much yeah, I pretty much only played Warzone for two years until Caldera dropped and then switched over to Apex because there was nothing else to play. I'm not playing that Fortnite bullshit that you play. Oh, thank God. Another person, another human yeah, being in this chat. Chop, don't even talk. You don't even play guy in games. Let's shoot the guy. Let's build a fortress around myself so I don't get shot. Right, yeah. I, have, I used to have the Tiger Woods video game. <laughs> oh, yeah. That, that game's legit. I'll give you that. But oh, you yeah. don't even play. Like, I played you in baseball. Shit on you. Like, it, it's, not, it's not even fun. You bought a team. <laughs> Choppy, I don't hit him. I'm rich. <laughs> <laughs> just make so, a suggestion if you like a game that's a first person shooter and has more to it than just shoot other guy bad you should play destiny oh dude dude vault of glass raid destiny one you got you tell me to play destiny you don't even know vault of glass raid are you talking about me yeah, yeah. he's not talking I about, know about vault of glass i know about vault of glass yeah. Raid, bro. That's, destiny one was my shit icebreaker galahorn come on dog there you go yeah. Crota's end. You ever fuck yeah, with that yeah. a little bit? Sword Crota, runner? You a sword runner? I was a sword runner. Okay. Hunter then. Hunter class. Mm -hmm. I had all three. <sighs> no doubt. I just hit my life and play Escape from Tarkov, okay? I never, I've never played it. I don't play, I play controllers, so. Well, listen, I, I got Derek to play it once. I think he shit himself immediately. That's a weird. There's too much going on. Just mm -hmm. like Apex. Except Apex. Completely different make, from Apex. I know, I know. But you, he tries to talk shit because we can build a fort. But yet, here, let's just throw this portal thing out of my pocket, and then I'll jump <laughs> through it and go somewhere else. 
trash. <laughs> uh, stemming off the gaming thing, though, is kind of lending back into the mental health. Did you find that streaming became an outlet for you for some things? Well, not in any way. Not streaming because I, I didn't really stream when I was injured. Um, but that's when I discovered Twitch. Um, and I, uh, yeah, man, Twitch, Twitch saved me so many times just because I felt like I could just hop on and chill with somebody. He listened to the head. Yeah, he's just so fucking loud. That's great. <laughs> so you, okay. So you do, you stream and everything. What you just said though, is something that I've heard from a lot of people, even people in my smaller streaming, but in the circles I run with, with some of the larger streamers is that people take solace in Twitch chats. Mm-hmm. And sometimes a, a little of, too much. <laughs> sometimes a little too much. Yes, <laughs> very much so. Um, some of the de- whispers you get are just all right. You I'm here for you. But that's a little. Calm yeah. Down. But at the same time, it, it's there are people who sit in chats and they'll say anything, and just being seeing the chat move and watching a streamer is an escape, mm-hmm. and being able to interact. And I think that's the, one of the great things about what you did with streaming and what Derek does now, and you know some of the other guys, some of the other athletes who stream out there is it's a connection for a lot of people as well. Yeah, for sure. And especially when you watch this, the same guy play day after day and you listen, he plays, usually plays with the same five or six guys. So then you've watched their channels Mm -hmm. and then you, they play with five or six different guys. And then you, it's just like a huge tree that, and man, I, I probably subbed the 60 guys. Um, it's so easy to just get yeah. in that sub hole. Yep. I, just, I, I, I had to, I had to take some of mine down. I had yeah. probably, I felt like I had a hundred people. Yeah. And I, I, but I, I, uh, I have a lot of good friends who are small streamers that, you know, that I, I love to support and, uh, you know, gifting those guys 20 subs is, is Christmas day for them. You know, those guys that only have a hundred or 200 subs. So it's just to be able to give back to, you know, communities and, and to guys who have been there for me in in capacities that they don't even know um it's it's rewarding but i think too i mean the thing with small streamers as well is that it go it 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 goes the other way too and one of the best stories i heard was about shroud where he streamed for two years to one person Hmm. and that was him so there are ways like the starting small and then not only that there are some streamers the way i put twitch in perspective for a lot of people is I, I pretty much stopped streaming regularly. I mean, Derek's on my ass every day to get streaming again. But when I when I was streaming in my heyday, sure, we'll go with that. It was between 40 and 100 people, depending on the day. And I was like, I'm not. That's not big, whatever. Do you realize that 40 people's a classroom? Yeah. Yeah. And then when you get to 100 people, 20 people's a classroom. You mm-hmm. have 10 people watching you. That's a workforce stopping their day to watch you, to watch yeah. you stream. Yeah. You have 1,000 people. That's a lecture hall. Mm-hmm. You have... 5,000 people, that's a college arena. And you have, you have 10,000 yeah, yeah. 10, people, you have an arena. And what people don't realize is even that 20 people, 20 people is 20 people taking time out of their day to watch you to build something out. in Minecraft. Yeah. 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 Just, or just not out. even to watch, just to like listen and just yeah. bullshit. And like, yeah. Yeah, like I, if I didn't have a brother, my best man at my wedding, I, I met on Xbox 10 years ago. He comes yeah. to my house for a week every summer. He lives in Canada. Um, I, dude, I have, I've made so many like amazing friends through gaming. Um, mm-hmm. When I was on my journey, I texted my group of like 10 guys and I haven't met any of them in person ever. Yeah. <laughs> and I've just texted them saying like, 
thank you guys so much for being there for me for the last year and a half. Like you don't even realize how much gaming with you guys has helped me out. Um, because dude, when I was hurt and injured, that's, that's all I had was Twitch and, and video games. And, um, I couldn't play all the time, obviously because of my head, but, um, just meeting those guys is, uh, life-changing for sure. Yeah. I, I'm the same way. Most of my closest friends now are through Twitch or through, and that's why I get, we've had this talk on this podcast before where the conversation between internet friends and real friends. And I think I can safely say for me that most of my internet friends are real friends. Real friends. Oh, but more than real friends. Yeah. My internet friends are more about me than anyone. Yes. Because, I mean, you play you play a video game for eight hours. You're not talking. You're not common for eight hours. You're you're sitting That's in true. loading lobbies and and running yeah. around doing stupid shit on the map. Like you're talking about, you know, any everything, sports, girls, anything. It feels safe too because it's like who. The, what I like about it is when you first meet these people, it's who are they going to tell? Yeah, exactly. So people open up super well, yeah. quickly, and it's and it's even cooler too. Is is it took it took some guys like six seven months to figure out who I was, and like a lot of these guys didn't even know I was an NHL player and shit, and they didn't treat me any differently. Yeah. And that that was that's why that's the best part. Yeah, that was even cooler. I haven't run into that with Derek because most people come to play with Derek on his channel. But the coolest thing that happened to me with that. Because I was playing Valorant with Lucas Giolito, and we were just random lobby hopping. Oh, we were just we were just random lobby hopping, and these two guys came in to play, and we we thought they were good, so we we're like, "Hey, you want to come to Discord and play with us? Like, actually, want to team up? And yeah, play yeah, a yeah. Few games together. They're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll hop in Discord. Sure, sure. Hops in Discord. We're playing for about another two hours, and then and Geo goes, "All right, I got to hop off. I got to go throw a bullpen." Hmm. And we're like, "All right, cool, sweet. Have a have a good day. You know, we'll play later." He is, "All right, see you." And after he left, the kid goes, one of the kids goes, throw a bullpen. Is your friend like a high school pitcher or something? <laughs> and, yeah. and I go, no, that's that's Lucas Giolito of the White Sox. And the kid goes, wait, I was playing with Lucas Giolito for two hours and he didn't say anything? Yeah. That's cool. What? And then his friend goes, I'm a fucking White Sox fan. What the fuck? <laughs> that's cool as shit. That's really cool. That's a cool feeling. I will say. Yeah, that. it was just even for me, it was cool because I was like, it wasn't about Geo being an athlete. It was about cool, let's go, you know, let's go cap A. Yeah, yeah, let's, exactly. Let's, let, you know, yeah. let's let's you know, wa wa watch tunnel, watch tunnel. Like it mm -hmm. wasn't about you know, hey, wow, I'm playing with, and that's what the internet does. I think that's what Twitch does. Oh yeah, for, and YouTube does for a lot of people. Is it normalizes for most people? You're just. I've said this to Derek before. You guys are like robots who come out, you skate your shift. The game ends. They don't hear about you again until the next game. Yep. Get your shift. The game ends. And so on and so on and so on. They see you play Call of Duty. They go, I play COD. He's a real person. He's a human. Yeah. It's not. And nothing says a true friend like putting your body on the line to res a guy. Facts. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And true hey, guys, friendships are made. Oh. And broken when it's a four man when it's only four man lobbies and five people show up. Oh, it, uh, that is brutal. Or when you have plans to play with four guys, you hop on a little early and you find a good fourth and you guys are rolling. And then that yep. fifth, that guy gets on that's supposed to be in the crew, and you're yeah, like, like, didn't make it, buddy. Back to the miners. Uh, <laughs> I gotta sit this one out. <laughs> well, where can we uh, find you on Twitch? 
Uh, I don't honestly, dude. I haven't streamed in so long. Um, but twitch.tv slash mooter m o o t t e r. Where'd you get the name Mooter? So, Xbox generated name when I was like twelve. <laughs> oh, so that was it. <laughs> That's a boring oh, no, answer. It was, like... it was it was Moot Fiend ninety nine. Like I made my gamer tag and I hit enter and it was like congratulations, your new name is Moot Fiend ninety nine. I was like, what the fuck? And back in the day, you had to pay like ten bucks to change your gamer tag. Yep. Yeah. So I was like, fuck that. I'm not doing that. I'll just roll it. I'm just Moot Fiend. So I have it like it's in all my suits. I have Moot Fiend ninety nine in all my all my custom suits. <laughs> oh my god, that's ah, I love great. it. I love yeah. that. So that, then and then when I got a PC, I had to I had to rebrand. So I just I went stuck with Mooter. Got that on your moments of triumph T-shirts. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so obviously the the documentary still is still in the works, but when that does come out, where can people find out information about that? Where they can watch it when that's decided and everything like that. Yeah. So the documentary is done. Um, we're we just finished up uh, two days ago. Um, we're just waiting to hear back on from the NHL on on some on some videos and see if we get the licensing for to use in the in the documentary, but. Other than that, she's done, um, ready to go, and we're just looking for a platform that, that wants to take it, and uh, you know, hopefully we can get it to as many eyeballs as possible. So, so, so as soon as it launches, where can they find out information about where to oh, launch it? Oh, yeah, the, we'll be tweeting it. Uh, I'll, I'll be having it all over my Instagram. Um, uh, you just type in my name on both of them. My name's spelled with a P-H. Uh, last name is Johns, J-O-H-N-S, so... Oh, it'll be uh we will be we'll be uh in the next month we'll be we're we're low, we're hoping early may early march it comes out so in the next month we'll be releasing some trailers and some uh some deleted scenes just that aren't going to be in it so uh it'll be it'll be it'll be cool hell yeah man well that's really cool i appreciate you coming on here with us i know we chatted up for a while but i, I told you it was gonna be a little bit of a loose cannon you know we bounced all over the place but the main thing was nah. we want to get your story out there we want people to know about you as an individual what you went through and how you've overcome it and now how you're trying to spread that awareness to those that are out there too so special thanks man you're our first guest ever yeah, i'm honored so appreciate that and then too i mean seriously thank you for coming on here with us i uh thank you guys obviously uh you have a huge platform derek and thank you for for allowing me to be on it and and to spread my message on your platform and uh yeah thank you guys too for for, uh, for having me on. Well, thank you for joining us. Yeah, of course. And Derek, that's why we have an editor. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that <laughs> is that's, true. But that's going to do it for season two, episode three of Off the Fairpool with special guest today, Stephen Johns. Be sure to check out all of his socials. His first, you can search his first last name on the socials to find out that. Be sure to keep your eye out for his new documentary about his Mental Miles initiative. We're looking forward to seeing that. For those of you listening on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts, um, be sure to tune in if you want to catch a live show on twitch.tv slash chirp17 or twitch.tv slash dutch underscore oven45. For Derek, Choppy, Dyers, even and myself, Terps, thank you for listening. Hope to see you guys next week. Have a wonderful week, guys. See ya.